It's a five-star podcast. Because we do it. What's real? What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the What's Real podcast, episode 133. I am your host, Ed Demko, along with my tag team championship partner in podcasting himself, the J. Jared Bajoris. The J. Uh, this is it feels a little different this week because I just saw you actually exactly but that does not mean that the J isn't pumped up for the what's real podcast hey you know, because I am as pumped up for the double R question mark 133 as the original 80s bad boy that's right Johnny Lawrence himself sweep the damn leg hey you know, but even better yet it's pumped up this week to get our peeps going here at the outset is William Zabka Talk about the 80s bad boy, always playing the great bully. That is pumped upness. Let's do the 133. Hey, y'all. I assume you have your fingerless gloves on, ready to go. Of course. And we have a pretty varied show, I'd say, this week for you. Of course, we're going to get into all things NFL. Uh, Week three, including our picks from last week, we're going to make picks for week four. We're going to talk Steelers versus Browns, fantasy football, and, of course, our weekly power rankings. Uh, we're also going to take a look at season five of Cobra Kai. So we got that in, hence the uh, William Zabka talk that the Jay brought up. Uh, on the movies that made us this week was the Jay's choice. We're going to go back to 1992 with Robert Rodriguez's El Mariachi. Uh, of course, we're going to be talking some goofs and much, much more. So let's just get into it, the Jay. Uh, pretty big weekend, uh, as I already mentioned. Uh, we got together over the weekend. We actually went and saw Pusha T. Uh, and we were talking about this, dude. But, like, pretty impressive. I'm not going to lie. Like, I didn't really know what... I wasn't expecting a whole lot. But, like, it was really good, man. That's that's the thing. It was one of those situations where we really didn't know what to expect exactly with a live performance from Pusha T. And we went to a pretty cool venue. So we did have kind of that thought that, like, okay, you know, we're going to... Stage AE, which is a, a concert venue in Pittsburgh, right near where the Steelers play at Heinz Field. And we've seen some wrestling shows there. I think you mentioned you've seen some other concerts there, but never a hip-hop concert. Yeah. But we know it's a pretty cool venue because it's a smaller venue. And you know how like those more intimate environments can be in, in, in with music and everything. And Pusha T, I got to say, brought it. I think you throw in the fact, too, that this was the first concert I've been to since the the pandemic years and everything. It's the first actual music concert Same. I've been to. Same so I was pretty here, yeah. pumped up about it, period. Yep. And uh, yeah, and he brought it live, man. It was a really good performance. This, it sounded great. And we had a freaking blast. Yeah, I was really kind of surprised about this because I've been to all kinds of shit, like concerts and stuff, and even in other states and shit. And like sometimes it's hard to explain, but like the vibe is kind of fucked up. Like even if the the artist is good and like you have a good time, it's like people are just like off putting or like fucking hammered or whatever. And it's just like a weird fucking vibe. Right. But like, I pretty much noticed once we got in here that the vibe was cool. Like there were like places where there weren't many people when you were around people, it was fucking hilarious. Cause the, fucking line stories that we have from this place already just like to get drinks was like fucking hilarious lots of people Uh, watching and dude even it's something we've been like talking about nonstop. is if you guys are long-term listeners of the show uh you've heard us talk about our friend jimmy wisen and uh 
passed away a few years ago. Uh, every year his family has a birthday party for him. Uh, we tend to go and hang out and do shit like that, which we did this year. Uh, just an odd circumstance where we ran into a friend at Pusha T that we hadn't seen in a really long time who just happened to be in a bunch of pictures at the the birthday party, like kind of out of nowhere. Uh, it was really strange, but it was hilarious. It was cool. Uh, it made the night that much cooler too, but like, yeah, man, definitely a blast. Thank you, obviously, to you, the Jay, as well for for a lot of the evening. But uh, but yeah, man, uh, really impressed with the show, and it was definitely a good way to spend a night on the weekend. Yeah, shout out to our buddy Hutch that that hooked it all up. Uh, thank absolutely. you, absolutely, Dutch. And, uh, yeah, that that was just crazy. We we said it was almost like our buddy Wazen winking at us, and and. You know, like Ed mentioned, his family at his birthday had kind of this like shrine uh, to him with a, just a few random pictures, just random Polaroids and things like that. There was only like eight to ten uh, pictures. It wasn't like a collage or anything, um, you know, with all this other stuff, uh, personal stuff of, of gyms. And one, the only picture with like the group of friends of ours was there was just one picture of the friends. You know, the rest of it was like family and him with his kids and stuff was him, our friend Russ and our friend AJ. And like Ed mentioned, we hadn't seen AJ in like 15 plus years in person and randomly ran into him a couple hours after Wizen's thing at the Push a T concert. So and, a wink from Jim and an amazing experience and, and coincidence. It was just crazy. And we were there a couple hours before we even saw him. You know what I right. mean? Like it was when Pusha T was on and shit. Like it was it was pretty crazy. But uh but yeah, man, definitely good times for sure over the weekend. But uh before we move along, something else I wanted to talk about the Jay, because I thought this is kind of interesting, too. And, you know, pat ourselves on the back here at the What's Real podcast. Why don't we? But uh, you and producer Cam are actually currently working on a film project that's not your own film project. But I figured this would be as good a time as any to kind of bring that up before we get into the other things that we're going to talk about here uh, at, the, at the open of the show. But uh, give us a little bit of the background of what, what's going on with this, Jay, or at least what you can tell us. Yeah, really cool stuff. And it goes hand in hand with the What's Real podcast and things we cover. Uh, we're huge George Romero fans here, and it is a direct correlation uh, with George Romero. So uh, the long story short, hey, yeah, I won't be long-winded about it. Uh, for the listeners, though, uh, Cam, our producer, the wizard behind the boards, actually works for Meta, which is, of course, the rebranding of what was Facebook. And at Meta, he he met a co-worker that he knew for a little bit, from, from what I understand, and it took him a little bit of time, and they stumbled upon the fact that they have a mutual interest in independent film. And Cam is the producer here on the What's Real pod podcast and also works with us in our independent film group, Churchill Pictures, which we put the podcast through as well. And the long and the short of it, again, is that Cam and Jeff, uh, that was his uh, work friend, started talking about film. And Jeff is ironically the COO of the George A. Romero Foundation here in Pittsburgh and works hand in hand with George Romero's widow. Uh, I believe her name's Susan, correct? Hey, you know? Yes, Suzanne. Yes, yep. Suzanne Romero. And uh, he stumbled on this script uh, written by another local filmmaker out of Sharon, Ohio, uh, maybe even Sharon, Pennsylvania. It's right on the border of Ohio. It's about an hour from the city of Pittsburgh, Sharon. Uh, that's where Gino Blair's out of. And he wrote this script. And Jeff really liked the script and was able to get a pretty decent budget to shoot a short film. And he hired Cam to work on it. And Cam uh, saw a role within the script that he pitched uh, that I could do. 
the king of the vagrants. Hey, Ed. So I had to grow my homeless beard and, and everything back from the unsung, a movie I did in the past. I, I seem to be typecast as vagrants for some reason. You know, my wife was joking. My handsome husband is typecast as a homeless man. <laughs> I got to put up with, you know, this long scraggly Dude. beard for months on end. You got to drastically change your look after this. Like you have to like shave your head and grow like the biggest beard of all time or do something completely like off center. Well, so, that, like, that's, that, well that that's what's funny for, yeah, for the unsung. My, my son was only like two and a half, maybe three years old at the time. And he only knew me with that long beard and scraggly hair because I had to grow it out, you know, for the yeah, movie and it took a while crazy. and everything. So it was years that I had it. And I shaved everything. You know, I got like a real close fade uh, and, and, you know, faded like five o'clock shadow beard. And he was kind of freaking out at first because I looked like a different person. I did that yeah. back then. And, yeah. and that's the thing. I can't really go too drastic because, uh, you know, we're working on the, the pro wrestling project, too, where I kind of have to have uh, the Macho Man-esque kind of look. So I still have to kind of keep the hair and beard, but definitely can trim it down. I have a, I have a, a haircut scheduled tomorrow, hey, and I'm actually looking forward to it because you know it is. You're a beard guy too with the long beard, like eating shit. Like I'm a big wing guy. Eating wings is a pain in the balls when you have freaking because I, I have like the mustache coming over now too because i just completely grew it out you know see so. that's that my shit i learned that lesson like you remember years ago when i like grew my shit out as far as i possibly could yeah and, like i did that and i was like all right cool i did that like i even have some pictures from shit that i went to and stuff like with that beer and i'm like cool i never need to do that shit again because yeah i had my ridiculous. zz top phase yes. it's over with it, it's <laughs> yeah. well dude it makes everything harder so like even though i have a beard now like i the only thing i don't trim is like what's under my chin everything else gets trimmed tremendously like because it just becomes too much of a fucking mess although i do kind of get in the mood sometimes to just fucking let it go nuts once the winter starts, because I'm like, it's cold as fuck. I don't, what do I care? Like, I'm not yeah. doing anything where I need to look fucking great. So who gives a shit? We go into uh, what we call the, the thing mode, you know, yeah. the beard out like you're in the movie, the thing. Yeah. I mean, dude, that's, I swear that's a thing around here anyways, like with other people, like that's the time to do it. You know what I mean? It's just, you ain't going to, you're not going to want to do it in July. I'll tell you that much. Right. Yeah. But to, to wrap up the film talk, hey, Ed, it's a short film. I can't give the title out. It's called Riverside Park, and it's kind of a supernatural thriller. Uh, I don't want to give too much of the plot or really any of the plot away at this point, but it's a really good script, really cool. And Cam was the, um, the, the, uh, what am I brain farting? The director of photography, the, the, the DP. He was the okay. DP. Uh, so he was behind the camera working hand in hand with director Gino and producer uh, Jeff Whitehead. And I, uh, like I mentioned, played the vagrant king. And I, it was cool. I got to work with an FX artist and had prosthetics. I showed you the picture. I have like a, a scarred up eye and, and stuff like that. So real creepy, cool character. I, I had to do a like real crazy monologue. I uh, come under these street lamps. So really proud of it, man. It's going to be a really cool thing. We'll keep you posted uh, as that goes into post-production on when that could possibly be seen and things like that. And uh, the, the other cool thing about this, hey, Ed, that I mentioned, Lori Cardill is actually yeah. in the movie. So the, the Jay and, and Cam, yeah, working with Lori Cardill from, you know, most famously from George Romero's Day of the Dead. So real, really you, cool stuff, man. Did you get the meter at all? Or do no, Cam or? did. Cam had okay. some pictures with her. Yeah, I Dude. shot uh, earlier on in the shoot, so I was just uh, with the the vagrant crew on, on the night I shot. 
she's really sweet, like really good, like really good. Like it's, it's, it was fun being around her when I had the opportunities, uh, which dude, listen how weird this ties in, by the way, just as a side note, bringing up Lori Cardill. When I worked with Lori years ago, it was on uh, like a investor reel thing that my buddy Scott Goldberg was making for at the time. That's what led into me doing the stuff that I did with Day of the Dead. Uh, but anyway, the the reason why I bring this up is because Scott Goldberg, t- t- like just a couple days ago, um, just started shooting his new feature, The Forest Hills, which he's currently shooting in the Catskills in New York, but with Edward Furlong, D. Wallace, and Shelley Duvall. So, wow. Uh, really cool. I'm, I'm super proud of Scott. He's a really good dude. I even like sent him like a good luck message before I knew they were getting ready to shoot because like dudes doing really cool stuff. They even put up like a bunch of like photographic stills from like sets and shit that they're using. And like, it's pretty wild looking like it, it looks, it looks awesome. So that's um, awesome. But kudos to him and best of luck, obviously to Scott on all that. But like, dude, it's crazy how many of these worlds kind of intertwine. You know what I mean? Like, oh, we, for sure. Like, you're just randomly talking about this, and you reminded me that Laurie was in it, and reminded me of that. So it's like it kind of shows you like how we're all like remotely interconnected with things, even though none of these things really have much to do with each other. Yeah, that's what I, that's what we said. You you can never give up. You know, the independent film venture and journey for me is a is, is complete passion. And and I've told you before, hey Ed, it's not something that I necessarily even want to do. I need to do. You know, because I've always oh, yeah. had that that creative bug and I just need creative outlets, which is why we're here spewing on the mic on the What's Real podcast as well. And like all the worlds collide, as you said. But uh, after kind of getting stimmied from the pandemic years and everything getting put on hold with the independent film stuff personally, it, it's just great that this this was uh, our official third film project this year and we have the opportunity for a few more in the future and, and things are, are going really good man so yeah i hope the ball keeps rolling but yeah just a, a public shout out to the whole crew of riverside park and for the opportunity thanks for cam for uh throwing my name in the hat um you know they were praising cam for doing a great job as dp and a shout out to director gino blair and of course producer uh jeff whitehead uh, really appreciate the opportunity and for anybody interested you know we talk to shop here on the what's real podcast we'll keep everybody posted on our upcoming film projects and, and goings ons man but it was a great great experience really fun time all right so let's get out of this the j and get into the world of professional wrestling uh first up kind of a news story that's been breaking a little bit recently uh a lot of exits from aew that we've talked about here on the show uh, it seems like CM Punk is most likely done. I don't know if you've been hearing anything about that, the Jay, but they said it looks like he's going to get his contract bought out. That seems to be the consistent thing that I've been hearing for days now. I don't, I don't know when this is going to happen or, or if they're even going to make an announcement about it or anything like that, but that seems to be the case there. Um, Alistair Black, uh, a.k.a. Malachi Black, um, asked for his release and was granted that, but apparently he's not allowed to go to WWE, so he can do you know other things. And uh, and then this story, Fightful uh, Select is reporting that uh, 33-year-old Buddy Murphy may be also, or Buddy Matthews, as he's known now, uh, might be done as well. He did a spot uh, that we're going to talk about in a little bit uh, with a big return superstar in the latest episode of Rampage that was performed in order to write him off television for the foreseeable future, though it's unclear if he's expected to return. 
another source told the outlet that they believe Rampage uh, taping was was Matthews last night in the company, but that information is yet to be confirmed. Um, and also, too, I saw that um, uh, Brody King put out uh, like a video or something essentially saying that he ain't going anywhere. Um, so that's good because I actually like uh, Brody King a lot. And I like, uh, you know, Buddy Matthews, too. Um, but like they said that like and I, I think Meltzer even made the comment like where there, somebody asked if, uh, you know, if guys were wanting to leave the company. And he essentially said, like, not anybody that doesn't have a significant other there. So, like, Buddy Matthews was brought up, Andrade was brought up, and obviously, you know, Malachi Black was brought up because uh, they have, you know, either girlfriends or wives that work in WWE. Um, but, yeah, Buddy wanted out of WWE, got out, went to AEW, now he wants out there to go back to WWE. You know, it's fucking weird, but... Probably not a good idea for a lot of these guys to want to leave. Like, I know they're trying to, like, you know, be in that early group of guys to do it, but I don't think it's going to be very good for a lot of them, frankly. I, I can tell you this as far as this story goes, hey, Ed, because I stumbled on this right before the podcast, uh, kind of looking into some research, and it was a video from Malachi Black directly. And okay. according according to him, he just said that he he started off by kind of shaking his head, just saying that like all these rumors and this you know basically like the social media pro wrestling stuff was kind of driving him crazy, and he's kind of shaking his head and he's like saying, "Guys, don't listen to this. Please don't listen to this." That's how it opened up, and he went on to say, "Look, I'm just taking a break. I just need some time off. I might be gone for a few weeks, maybe a couple months, and I'm coming back." So that's that's what he had to say. So, you know, maybe he just needs a break. And as far as Murphy goes, uh, like, like you mentioned, uh, they mentioned in this article exactly what he said, that he's stepping away and kind of said the same thing, that it isn't goodbye, it's see you later, and he needed to recalibrate and just take some t time off. So maybe, you know, the rumors are just swirling about the WWE stuff, and that's kind of incorrect information, and these guys are just taking some time off from AEW but are returning to the company. Uh, but that seems to be the case for, for Malachi Black because I, I don't foresee him like just going on there and lying. You know what I mean? It's, well, it's exactly what he said. So the, there's also been the story too about that came out about Bobby Fish where he was kind of like acting like a conduit to trips and was trying to like talk to dudes and see if they were interested in going back to WWE. Um, so they cut him. That was part of the reason why they they didn't you know bring him back. So. As you mentioned too, that's that's a good thing to do as well, though, just for contractual bargaining chip reasons. Even if you have no want to go back to WWE, just kind of playing that game and, and acting like you're throwing feelers out there, dependent on who you are, of course. Well, no, no, no. But, I'm saying you know, Bobby Fish is working for AEW and is working as a conduit for trips to ask guys that. Yeah, right. No, I get in. that. So, like, that's kind of shitty. But yeah, and, then and that's why they released them, like you said. Yeah, and he's apparently with Impact already. So, you know, I don't know. He's super old, though. That's another thing that people, you know, di didn't seem to know for a long time, but seem to think that it's funny now. But Yeah, there's a lot of jokes online about that. But moving right along here into uh, what we mainly wanted to talk about, this is AEW Grand Slam. We talked about this last week. We kind of gave you guys a preview of the show. Uh, and this is essentially what we got. Um, we got Chris Jericho defeating Claudio Castagnoli by pinfall for the ROH World Championship in about 14 minutes and 25 seconds. 
Uh, a lot of people seem to be surprised. I know I kind of was because uh, I really didn't think that they were going to do this. But it has been brought to my attention, too, that they're also trying to get a television deal for Ring of Honor, uh, which Chris Jericho was a big part in helping AEW get a television deal when they first started their company. So if that is the case, I get it. But like besides that, it's kind of dumb. But they're already kind of running with it on TV and stuff. So, you know, it is what it is. I think more than anything, it's just something for for Jericho to do. It's one of those things where I feel like he's kind of plateaued already with the Jericho Appreciation Society because that's one of those kind of yeah. gimmicks that that can only go so far. You know, I mean, those guys are entertaining, but it's it's definitely mid card stuff. And Jericho's Jericho, so he's going to keep you know attempting to find ways to to best utilize himself in the company with him. You know, still being an active wrestler, still going even at his age. And th- this was a decent match. You know, we kind of called it. We, we yeah. knew that their their chemistry, you know, would kind of be off with with Jericho being older now and far out of his prime and things. But you know, still a decent matchup, uh, just shy of fifteen minutes. So good time there. And, and again, I think that Jericho goes over in this case to be BROA's champion for the reasons you stated. Hey Ed, the business side of things behind the scenes, but also for the fact that it kind of gives them, you know, some leverage for. Some some fresh you know coat of paint to kind of say like he's calling himself the Ocho now because he's an eight time champion and, you know he never won the ROH belt so that's just another notch for the, the the belts that Jericho has had as well. Yeah, I mean it, it works for what it is as long as it doesn't get you know super annoying or anything. But they've already announced it, uh, you know, this week on Dynamite that they're going to have him versus Bandito. So obviously that'll already happen by the time you guys are listening to the show, but. Definitely looking forward to that. That's kind of a cool match as well. So uh, moving right along, the AEW World Tag Team Championship was decided when the Acclaim defeated Swerve in Our Glory in 13 minutes by pinfall to win the Tag Team Championships. Uh, this match was nowhere near as good as the pay-per-view match was, but it was still pretty good. Um, I think they're starting to do the cracks in the foundation stuff with Swerve in Our Glory where like Swerve is just flat out heel and, and Keith Lee's kind of like, you know, Stop being a dickhead. Um, the Acclaimed uh, won when Billy Gunn interfered. Um, and I know people were complaining about that. But, like, I do think that what they're doing is they've been built up as kind of like this underdog tag team. And everybody likes them. They're super popular. And they kind of won the belts in a way that wasn't clean. And because they're still that underdog team. But I think the point of the reign most likely is to get them over is like, you know, like people are going to be taking them seriously from now on, like after this run. Right. Yeah. And if you don't know the acclaimed Anthony Bowens and Max Caster are, are both New York City guys, you know, this happening at Arthur Ashe Stadium. So they had the home home crowd there. And, and we kind of called it in our preview. It wasn't quite as good as their big pay-per-view match that really kind of came out of nowhere for how good it was and how hot the crowd was for it. But this was right behind it. It really was. This was a really yeah. good match, really hot, you know, some some great near falls. They built it up well in a, in a great climactic ending for the acclaim to go over. So I did really enjoy this match. And uh, kudos to you on this one, the Jay. You called this one as the sleeper match of the show, and it definitely was. It was probably the best match of the show, in my opinion. And I'm talking about the AEW All-Atlantic Championship match, which saw Pac, uh, successfully defend against Orange Cassidy uh, by pinfall at 13 minutes. Uh, these two just gel together very well. Um, you know, Pac is one of the best dudes on earth, I think. Like, he's pretty unique at what he could do. And it meshes oddly well with what Orange Cassidy does. 
Um, and Cassidy, again, you know, dude's a pretty underrated wrestler when, you know, like when it calls for it, if that makes sense. Like, and it really doesn't call for it a whole lot with his gimmick, but he can go. And this match is a really good example of that. I, I enjoyed this one a lot. And they're, I don't know if they're, they're tooling around with turning Orange Cassidy heel uh, or what they're doing, but like they're, his character is starting to change a little bit. And I think it's happening gradually on purpose, like it has since day one in the company. But um, it's kind of interesting to see where they're, where they're going to end up going with him because I believe at all times they have very significant plans for him just seeing how he's been booked since day one. Yeah, they, they need to start doing something with them, though, because, again, so, some of these guys in AEW are kind of languishing, kind of getting a little bit stale, stale. You know, Orange is still very over. And like we talked about, and, yeah, I appreciate the, the kudos. Hey, out. we did call that in the preview that I kind of snuffed this out as possibly being the sleeper, which it was, because I would definitely agree that this was my favorite match on, on this uh, show. But, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think it's something that needs to happen sooner than later with Orange Cassidy, you know, kind of – you know, gradually changing, like you're saying, but, you know, they need to do something there to amp him up. You know, he kind of got away from the best friends. Like they haven't been uh, a part of his act in a while and things like that. So, uh, Orange Cassidy is such a good, unique talent in AEW. You know, you definitely don't want to see him fuck that up, you know, with booking and things, but, uh, definitely not, not, not a big deal for him to put over Pac as the, uh, all Atlantic championship with a defense here either. Uh, like you said, Pac is just ridiculous in ring, just always on fire. And this match was excellent. And next up was one of the more perplexing matches of the night, followed up by one of the, well, the biggest moment of the night, I believe. Uh, we saw Tony Storm successfully defend her title, the AEW Women, Women's World Championship, against Athena, Dr. Britt Baker, uh, and Serena Deeb in 9 minutes and 50 seconds. Um, this match was worse than the pay-per-view match. Um, we saw Britt Baker get her face destroyed as she was bleeding everywhere, courtesy of Athena. Um, but the story wasn't so much the match. Um, so after the match, Tony Storm was getting beaten up by, you know, uh, Deeb and Baker. And all of a sudden we got some music and you could tell pretty quickly it was a debut. And like, I don't know how you felt at this point, but I was like kind of racking my brain watching this. And I'm like, who the fuck could this even be? Yeah, like, I wasn't sure. Because I don't believe that it's Sasha or anything like that. So I was like, who the hell? And then... It ends up being Soraya, a.k.a. Paige, um, which is really weird because she left WWE um, as a, I mean, she's a big name. I'll give her that. Um, she was essentially retired because, uh, you know, just like Edge or, or you know, uh, Brian Danielson was at one point. Um, I know that she was trying to get cleared. Uh, never heard any specific details if she was or not. And... This made me think that she was cleared. Now I'm reading that it's not so clear on what her role is going to be in the company. If she cannot wrestle, this made very little sense. Um, and I don't believe that she's going to come cheap either. Like she's made some money in the business. So she's not just going to work for a wrestling company for like fucking little amount of money. And she has enough name and cachet where she probably shouldn't anyways. Um, but kind of an odd pickup because even if she can wrestle, we have no idea how rusty she is. She's going to be working with women that aren't necessarily really good. Um, some are, some aren't. Like their women's division is kind of a debacle. 
and adding another name, let alone a bigger name to it, is just going to make it that more complicated. Yeah, this could go so many different ways, hey, Ed, with Soraya. And the thing is, just because we always must say here on the show, the timing of, of everything as we talk and when we drop and all that, we're going to know a bit more on exactly what her deal is because they're toting uh, an appearance from Soraya on this week's Dynamite to kind of explain you know, exactly where she's coming from. But as we talk now, just kind of predicting it, that it, you, you pretty much nailed everything I would say. I mean, it's it's a huge get if, if she could wrestle for a really struggling women's division. However, again, you nailed it. Like, how how much can she go? Who's she going to mesh with? Can they even put her in with certain people like Jade Cargill and stuff if she has a very delicate neck? I mean, there, there's a lot of assumptions to be made exactly what's going on. And then as we're talking about the other side of it is if she can't, be an in-ring worker you know why are you paying her all this money just to kind of do like the the weird kind of mark henry-esque role of just yeah. behind the scenes and i you know i don't know what what they're going to be be able to do with her yeah i mean and then and i don't mean this with all the negativity and stuff like that uh what if this ends up being another cm punkish type thing where it is a big deal you build up maybe like a really big match with her and brit or you know like whatever your plan is here uh, it works. It goes off without a hitch. It ends up like, you know, like people really dig it. Like it's getting some some viewership, maybe even drew some people to order a pay-per-view. And then she gets hurt and can't, you know, seem to shake the injury bug type thing. Um, then it's just another bad signing. And that's, you know, I'm all for them trying to raise their profile with signings, but only when they make sense. And if she can go and, and she's good and cleared, then I get the signing. It ma it makes sense to me. But with all these question marks and everything else, I'm like, man, if they if they would like if these things are not clear to them, that's really bad. I agree. I, I, and we talked about it before. The WWE is not just going to let go top tier people that they can use. You know, and uh, there's certain varying situations with contracts and different things. But look at some of the, the people that AEW's picked up. Like Punk was never going back to WWE. He burnt the bridge, right? Yep. yep. And then you have, you know, Daniel Bryan. He he wasn't going to go back because he wanted to wrestle somewhere and they weren't less letting him wrestle in WWE. But he's uh, also it, even mentioned being, you know, it's possible that he goes back there to finish out his career. To finish but his career. But then he's also said since then that that's not going to happen. Right. And then, you know, Castagnoli, they never really knew exactly what to do with him there. He was just like a consistent workhorse for years. So my point is, you know, there again, there's something more to it than them just letting Soraya go and, and AEW just, you know, picking her up. But, yeah, we're just going to have to see because that's the big question, quite obviously. Is she going to be cleared to be an in-ring worker? And if not, what exactly kind of role is Tony Khan going to have for her in AEW? Absolutely. And the main event of the show was the tournament final for the vacant AEW World Championship. And in 19 minutes and 15 seconds, John Moxley defeated Brian Danielson by technical submission. Uh, good match, not a great match. Uh, weird finish uh, with Brian Danielson getting, you know, choked out basically. Um, Moxley, they went with again, which, you know, is fine. I have no problem with that. He's the number one guy in the company. But this match kind of was like anticlimactic. Uh, not bad, but just kind of like whatever. 
I'm with you. I was entertained by it. Thought it was good, but the end definitely not. I wouldn't, you know, it'd be overboard for me to say it left a bad taste in my mouth. It wasn't on that level, but it was just kind of just like, you know, that, that's the best way to put it. Hey, I'd, anticlimactic, a hundred percent. And other than that, decent match, but we called it in our preview. These guys kind of mesh weird as good as they both are. Their two styles just aren't, you know, clicking on all cylinders and there's kind of choppy portions of it. And then there's like really good portions of the match, but it's, you know, it's kind of like an imbalanced kind of chemistry. And, and that's what this match was. And then you add in, as we were talking about the technical submission uh, fall, like ending, and it was kind of weird. Absolutely. And now, of course, because we didn't really preview this, but we can run it down because there was some stuff that happened. Uh, Rampage was a special two hour show this week uh, from uh, the same place. They recorded it the same night. Uh, we got Darby and Sting defeated the House of Black team of Buddy Matthews and Brody King with Julia Hart by pinfall in 13 minutes and a no disqualification tag team match. Uh, it was really cool. Uh, by the way, Julia Hart took a bump off the apron through a table that was fucking brutal. Like she went too far and like halfway went through a table and hit the guardrail. And she's tiny and she did it to herself. Um, we Sting also did that got, too. Sting went through a table and there was another yep. one behind him and his head hit it for, for yep. sure. Because Sting just is a fucking 60-year-old savage out there going through tables and shit. And then we had kind of something unexpected as uh, House of Black had Sting essentially uh, handcuffed, couldn't really defend himself. Everything goes black. Music turns on. It's none other than the great Muda who would come down and spit the mist in Buddy Murphy's face. There, I keep calling him Buddy Murphy. It's Buddy Matthews. Um, and got the win for Sting and Darby. Uh, this match was a lot of fun. Pretty cool. Uh, obviously, with the Muda stuff, that was just fucking awesome. Because even though Muda can't go anymore, he's super old, going to retire this year and everything else. He just looks fucking cool. Yeah, and it's the great freaking Muda still going. And yeah, that was and that was out of nowhere. Talk about out of nowhere, like in an opener like this. So great surprise. And yeah, this was just bonkers with the shit they were doing. Like we said, Sting went through tables, hit his head. Julia Hart, uh, hey, Ed described her crazy bump. And then Darby Allen and Brody King did like this bump where they fell off the stage together through tables. And Darby Allen cut lacerated the back of his head really bad for real like everybody was going balls out and like hurt for real in this match and i definitely respected it and it was a great opener for this two-hour special rampage something i was really looking forward to was the next tag match uh in five minutes and seven seconds we saw action bronson and hook defeat the jericho appreciation society team of matt menard and daddy magic himself and Angelo Parker by double chokeout submission, uh, double Tajaha Tamein, if you will. Um, this was cool. This was fun. Uh, obviously, Action Bronson came out and performed Hook's theme live as they did the entrance. Uh, th this is about what I expected this to be, but like it was, this is a good thing I think for yeah, everybody sure. involved. Short and sweet and fun, like you said, best way to describe it. And Action Bronson looked decent in there, man. He was. Uh, I, I think he's been doing jujitsu or, or something along those lines to get in shape and you could tell he's definitely lost a lot of weight from the height of how much he's weighed in the past being an action bronson fan as far as his music and things and checking him out on like the cooking show he's done and things and uh yeah he was running around the ring just running people over like uh, they were calling him like jericho saying he's like a rhinoceros in there you know, yeah. so, <laughs> you know definitely did his part 
Yeah, he's Dude, funny on commentary. At one point, Jericho, I don't know if you noticed or not, but he's like, oh, you see West Side Gun down there. And then they're like, oh, yeah, da 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 And then he's like, hold on a second. West Side's texting me about something. Like, yeah. just like, like shit like that is fucking yeah. funny. And he's like, what's he texting you about? And he's like, probably advice on his career. Like, <laughs> yeah. kind of like the, doing the Heenan shtick, but yeah. it, it, it was pretty good. Uh, next up, we had another tag team match that saw the team of Wardlow and Samoa Joe defeat Tony Nese and Josh Woods in two minutes and 20 seconds in, by pinfall in a I don't really understand why this match was happening match. Whatever. Yeah, we, we mentioned like where Wardlow is, they got to be careful when they keep putting them in these weird tag team positions and things like that because he's kind of like at a stalemate for, for where they're going to go with them. You know, and it is what it is. He's at least still getting on the card, getting those entrances. He went on a powerbomb symphony on smart Mark Sterling and stuff like, you know, entertaining for the fans. But yeah, it's just was like a, a squash match on, on what should have been a big show here. Two minutes and 20 seconds segment. And next up, which was, in my opinion, the match of the night was Jungle Boy. Jack Perry defeated Ray Phoenix by pinfall in 17 minutes and 48 seconds. And dude. This is what I'm talking about. When I say when you want dudes like Jungle Boy to get better, you have to put them in there with good talent. And they usually do put them in there with good talent. But when you're all out there fucking on your own against Ray Phoenix, like it's fucking sink or swim. And they did a fucking great job. This match was awesome. Yeah, ridiculous spots, high-paced action. It was what we would hope for, you know, talk about some chemistry being off in some of the matches we were going over previous. This match had really good chemistry and it was just great, you know. Like I always shout out the time, really good storytelling, really good timing, just shy of 20 minutes-ish. Uh, this was definitely the, the highlight of uh, the Rampage special and I thought the match of the night myself as well. And, dude, the next match was no joke, too. It was a singles match that saw Sammy Guevara defeat Eddie Kingston by disqualification in 7 minutes and 58 seconds. And basically what this match was was we saw Sammy get a bunch of fucking moves in. Uh, then Eddie cuts him off and beats the ever-loving shit out of him uh, and then chokes him the fuck out in the ring and then gets disqualified because he refuses to release it. Uh Dude, this is how you have a fucking match under eight minutes on TV, and it's fucking awesome. Like, good pace, good storytelling. These two dudes have, like, a little bit of a beef in real life. Um, Eddie was fucking destroying them. Uh, Sammy was taking shit. Uh, Sammy did such a great job, too, after the match. Like, at, like Ty's fucking carrying him out, and he's like, what happened? She's like, you won. He's like, what happened? Like, yeah. Like, dude. It's the little details. Like, yeah, these two dudes fucking killed this shit for an eight-minute fucking match on this show. I was super impressed because I was not expecting what they gave us. Yeah, I agree. And, and we mentioned, too, in the varying weeks talking AEW where Sammy is right now, too. He's another one of these acts that's on thin ice as far as, you know, being ruined by certain booking and, and the route that they're going to take with his character. And this was definitely a turn in the right direction, you know, pairing them with Eddie, yeah. like you said, the real life beef and the way that they booked this. Uh, so it's a, you know, it's definitely a good thing to see. And I, I foresee this, you know, obviously going on in AEW, the Sammy Gravata, uh, Eddie Kingston feud here. Yeah. And I'd be fine with that. Absolutely. Right. Exactly. Fine with it's that. a good place. Let's, for let's do it. Uh, next, we had the AEW TBS championship and we saw Jade Cargill defeat Diamante in two minutes and 34 seconds. Yeah. Just this pa- was just padding a them stats. Over. And yeah. dude, I 
I will say this. I did see some stuff in this match that made me think that, like, Jade's actually starting to improve. Um, there was a, a moment where, like, Jade was on the, the uh, apron and Diamante, like, did the running dropkick to her back. And instead of just, like, flopping off to the floor, Jade did the thing where she, like, fell off onto her face and, like, sold it on the floor. So, yeah, like, sold it well. She, she's starting to have a little bit of nuance. And, she like, she's athletic. So, like, if she cares and she's getting trained properly, she's eventually going to get it. So, hopefully, that kind of means that's where she's at. Um, because, like... She needs to be doing more than what she's doing. And that's I'm not shitting on her. I think it's just what they're doing with her starting to work to her detriment. And, you know, we were just talking about it. When you're not in there with talent that is significantly better than you um, or you're not fighting competitively with them. Like if it's just a job or match, that's not making you better. You have to work. And she's had to work against a few people, but it hasn't been enough. And there hasn't been anybody to really push her. Uh, even size wise, that would like if there was a good worker around her size, not even bigger than her or close, like just around her size that could push her, it would be really beneficial to bring whoever that may be in. And the first person that I would think about would be like a Jordan Grace. Yeah, yeah, good call. Yeah, we'll see what happens. There was the other aspect of this with uh, rapper Trina that came down with Diamante, and it looked like you know they kind of played if she was going to turn on. Diamante or you know still kind of fight with Jade Cargill and then she ended up befriending Jade Cargill and the baddie so I don't know how long Trina is going to be a part of that act but that was just another little thing in there as well yeah I don't expect it to go beyond this but you know it's possible I, I they've been bringing in a lot of rappers and shit which is kind of funny but yeah uh, why not? It's a good crossover. Uh, something that I didn't even know was happening until I was actually watching the show. Uh, they had a 25-man golden ticket battle royal for a future AEW World Championship match. In 13 minutes and 20 seconds, we saw Hangman Adam Page uh, won by last eliminating Roosh. Uh, this was pretty fun. Um, I kind of handpicked Adam Page to be the dude to win it, though, whenever I first saw like you know all the people in it. Um, but that's fine, and that's actually kind of good and That'll be something, you know, so like he has that MJF has the fucking chip. So like there's things that can happen to kind of make the world title scene really interesting really quickly. So I have no problem with that. Yeah. Yeah. They have to, you know, do something here with everything that went down with the punk stuff and then doing this tournament with the main event picture. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what route they take. But like you said, they have some pun intended chips in place here uh, with, as you mentioned, the the chip being possessed by MJF hangman winning this now definitely something you could play with and, and tell, you know, some stories moving forward on what to do with Moxley as the champ. And in the main event, we had a lights out match that saw Ricky Starks get his win back, defeating powerhouse Hobbs by pinfall in 11 minutes and 54 seconds. Not bad, not great. Uh, it's time to move Ricky Starks on, man. Like, this dude's for real. Like, I think he could be one of the major players in the company. And I, I think Hobbs is promising, too. I just think he should be working. These two dudes have been tied together way too long. They need to split them up. They need to do something else with them. Uh, and, you know, like I said, I, I honestly feel like Ricky Starks is starting to move up in the world. So, you know, maybe get him involved somewhere in the mid-card where he can kind of solidify himself. 
Completely agree. I think this is the end of their feud and they may have ended a, a really big show here. This two hour special on Rampage with their lights out match. And, and it was good. I, I enjoyed it. And, and like you said, I think they, there's two really strong singles guys out of this with Ricky Starks and Powerhouse Hobbs to kind of go off on their own. Definitely uh, agree with you with Ricky. He has star all, written all over him. I'd like to see what they do with him. And, and we keep going back to it. Hey, Ed, and, and this kind of talking out loud breakdown of, of this past week's Grand Slam tapings here is is just the good problems to have for Tony Khan. There's just still a lot of talent. He has a lot of good homegrown young talent here mixed in with some of these, you know, past workers from WWE and and the John Moxley's and Daniel Bryanson's, you know, Brian Danielson's of the world. So he has to start, you know, coming up with better, better booking plans, in my opinion. You know, it's kind of like the in-ring aspect of AEW is still carrying it. It still has me really liking it and interested. And there are some some storyline stuff going on that, that I enjoy. We said the Sammy and Eddie stuff was a nice turn and things like that. But I think he really has to get a handle, uh, especially with the main event picture and things like that, on on kind of re- recreating intriguing storylines with with a lot of talented wrestlers. Yeah, I mean, I think they were better at kind of building up feuds throughout the first two years of the company. And stuff exactly. Like that they yeah, they're kind now. of getting getting off of, of the storytelling side of, of the, the aspect of pro wrestling. And, you know, we're not sticklers for that kind of thing. There's a lot of stuff you really don't need that for, like especially just television and stuff like that. But there is a lot of stuff that it's a must. And, and I kind of agree with you. They're kind of straying away from it. And it's, it's definitely... Uh, starting to show, you know, the cracks are starting to show more and more each week. But hope you guys enjoyed that breakdown of AEW Grand Slam 2022. Uh, we are up against our very first commercial break. Whenever we come back, it is all about the NFL. We're going to go through uh, our picks from last week, make some for next week, talk Steelers and Browns, fantasy football, and our power rankings. So stay tuned, guys. We'll be back right after this on the What's Real podcast. Join us next week for episode 134 of the What's Real podcast. It's the continuation of the deep, exclusive What's Real podcast coverage of the NFL with regular season weeks three into week four. And the 31 days of Halloween celebration begins as we begin to celebrate all things horror here on the What's Real podcast. This is Timothy James with the What's Real Podcast, here to represent Goose or Goose for episode 134, where the guys talk about broadcasters farting all over the place, moms having their son's kids, Project Grizzly, and cocaine bears. All that and much more on episode 134 of the What's Real Podcast. What's real, everybody? It's your boy, The J, from the What's Real Podcast, here throwing out there the opportunity to advertise here on the Dubar Question Mark. That's right. You, yourself, whatever you're trying to sell on the interwebs or anywhere or anything, we're whores. We'll help you put it out there. Just contact us at whatsrealpod at gmail.com. That's whatsrealpod at gmail.com to advertise on the show of shows, The Pod Upon Pods today, and team up with Hate Yelp, the J, and the Wizard Behind the Boards for some sick 16K advertising. Just hit us up and we'll make a deal. And we're back, and it is time to get into some NFL talk this week. First up, let's do some fantasy football, the Jay. Uh, you got two teams, I got one, so hit us off with your first one. How'd you do this week, the Jay? 
So we were talking about such a great start with fantasy from, uh, especially for the J personally, some really bad years through the pandemic and all that, that I've talked about. And I, ha- I had a nice two and O start in both leagues. And unfortunately, Hey, had a big wah wah this week. I lost in both leagues, starting off with the blue oh. dragons. Yeah. Now two and one, I, I got beat 150.32 to 132.80. And this is one of those things. And this is part of fantasy. I mean, any of us can do that when you make decisions with your bench, you know, like for example, my opponent had Tyler Boyd on the bench that had almost 25 points. So okay. I can't talk shit, but it is one of those things. I took out two players that I did have in the first two weeks which were uh, Hawkinson, the tight end for the, the Lions, and Olave, who's the rookie receiver for oh, New Orleans. I, I thought you would have started him. I, I'm an I idiot. I saw he blew up. Yeah, he was trust the only me, I'm dude an idiot. On team that blew up. If I had Hawkinson and Olave in, I win. But again, he had Tyler Boyd on his bench too. You can say that any week. That's why they play the game. Hey, Ed, it's fantasy. But the J getting beat by nearly uh, 15 points here. And uh, I suffered my first L with the Blue Dragons. All right, man. So I rolled on pretty well here this week. Uh, I was winning. I was up uh, on like the last day, like which would have been Monday night. I, I had 117.60, which is what I finished with. And my opponent ended up with 106.66. So I did get the W. Uh, another big week again for Jalen Hurts. Dude got me 38 points. Uh James Robinson, dude, the running back for the Jaguars, got me 22 fucking points. Alan Lazard got me 12. Uh, dude, I did all this, like, and this is kind of a big deal to me. My tight end was George Kittle, didn't even get me five points. I had the Atlanta defense, which got me 5.60 points, and Boswell, who only got me six points this week. Uh, and Alvin Kamara, who got me 7.30 points. So, like, you know, I, that's a pretty good week for me, considering all the, you know, the guys that didn't really perform to be able to get a win. And I'm three and zero, and I'm currently in second place in my entire league out of fourteen teams. So I'm rolling along. Uh, hopefully, I can keep it going because you know I wanted to come out strong this year because I knew I was going to get throttled during a bye week or two. Uh, so so far, so good. Yeah, congratulations, hey, yeah, that's a good start. Uh, running by my other loss with the purple-headed warriors, I actually just got trounced in that league, 157.76 to 104.70. My opponent, uh, shout out to Walter, that runs the league, his team Groundhogs, but he had Lamar Jackson, who threw four touchdowns and had 107 rush yards, 218 pass yards. Yeah, uh, 41.42 in this league. And then he also had Devontae Smith, who I have Jalen Hurts and uh, A.J. Brown, from Philly and Devontae Smith had the standout game there. Uh, and then he also had Mark Andrews, the Baltimore uh, tight end that just blew up. And then the middle of my lineup here is what really killed me. Joe Mixon uh, for Cincinnati, the running back getting shaken up just over five points. Aaron Jones and Green Bay, you know, we'll be talking about Green Bay and how they look anymore. Less than, you know, less than five points and Fryermuth. And Pittsburgh killed me this week, which is five points. So the middle of my my team there, just a combined, not even 20 points, not even 15, shy of 15 yeah. points between three guys going up against Lamar Jackson, Devontae Smith, and Mark Andrews. It wasn't happening, brother. So the J, well, dude, two and one in both leagues. Let, let me ask you a question. I know, so, so we're three weeks in here on fantasy, right? 
Give me uh, now. It might even be the same dude. I don't know because sometimes you end up having the same guy on two different teams. But give me a guy on each of your team that's like really like this dude's been fucking super disappointing for me up to this point. Yeah, it's a good call. I mean, you know, obviously just looking at this, Aaron Jones, you know, stands out because like Green Bay, I thought was going to have to rely on the running game a bit more. Didn't he have a good game last week? Yeah, he did decent, you know, but again, I'm just looking at this, you know, Mixon being shaken up. And I guess it's saying here that he uh, is is okay to go because they play on Thursday already. Uh, Cincinnati. Okay. Which, which yeah, by the way, not Dolphins. to guy, digress, did you see they're they're having their um their color rush, the all white, like the white bangles, the white helmets. This Ugh, Thursday. That's, that's horrible. I think they look pretty sick. Have you seen I, them? Yeah, I don't like see that's a thing, man. They're synonymous with that helmet, even though I think it's fucking hideous and they're the bungles. That, you just don't like, like them going away from tradition. Nope, I don't like that. Yeah. I'm real big on that. Like, if you ask me my favorite uniforms in the league, I'm like, you know, the Raiders, the Steelers. The like, I like that the Packers never changed theirs. I like the Bears have been the same forever. I hate like Carolina and Jacksonville and like Seattle. Like, it, dude, Seattle had beautiful uniforms back in the day, and they go they wear the horse shit they wear now. So like, yeah, that you know, neon green. Yeah, it, that shit's hideous. Get the fuck out of here with that. I I'm, I prefer tradition in the NFL with that. Yeah, but yeah, so far not not ridiculous disappointments. Uh, you know, just disappointed this week, and uh, you know, just kind of kind of reassess. Uh, how about you, Hayat? Is there anybody that stands out on your team that you're like, fuck, man, this dude? I thought this dude was gonna do a lot better. Yeah, I mean, I George you got Kittle, Kittle right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's great lines. Uh, uh, yeah, Al- Alvin Kamara has not played very well so far this year. He's kind of dealt with injury too. But like, dude, uh, to move away from injuries, and I'll say this because he was my first round pick. Debo Samuel has been disappointing so far um, because of the quarterback situation. And then on top of that, their best offensive lineman got hurt this week. So, like, that's the dude that protects Garoppolo's blind side. And I yeah, basically t- have Debo and Kittle, and that's going to fucking kill me. I know we it's talk kill me. talk about it a million times over with the NFL, man. The injuries and who gets hurt and when is just so yeah, huge. It's massive, man. Absolutely. So, and that's something we can speak on here in a moment. But let's move it on over the J to the Steelers versus the Browns. Of course, this was the opening game of the weekend on Thursday night which saw the Browns win 29-17. to 17. So it's safe to say that me and you got that one wrong on our predictions from last week as well. Yes, we um, did. But as we do here on the show, we do the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, and we're going to kind of do that right now. So uh, the good, the J for you this week. Give us your first good. I don't have a whole lot here. I only have two things this week. Yeah, we mentioned we'll, we'll run through it because this game being last Thursday, again, with the timing of, of recording everything is going to be pretty outdated, but we still want to want to talk about it and stay consistently on the podcast. So we'll run through it. But yeah, unfortunately, not not a whole lot of goods at all. One of the first things I'll just throw out there because it's like a fun one is, of course, the George Pickens catch that everybody's going nuts about yep. comparing it to the classic OBJ one. And that was only one catch and, and anything else, not even a touchdown, but nonetheless, uh, when we're nitpicking for goods i'll just start there with a fun one uh just a huge 37 yard amazing one-handed catch and if you happen to be listening and not have seen it definitely worth looking up uh the highlight on you know easily found online but george pickens with just a ridiculous circus catch first good head yep i would agree that was one of my goods as well um my other good is the offense in the first half um they're moving the ball things look pretty good uh considering um, now I'm going to get into later why it's it, it's his first half offense. So, 
Uh, but yeah, they looked like they were kind of getting their shit together in the first half. And I, I will say this too, as just as a side note on this, because I thought this was pretty good throughout. Um, the offensive lines gelling together, like they're starting to play much better. Um, so the team's not going to be able to blame things on them for much longer. Yeah, that's a good point. Another one of my good hate, uh, just because he stood out a little bit more. We 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 kind of noticed him with Najee's struggles, but Jalen Warren, man, he's looking like he's going to be a little player. Uh, the one broadcaster was really going nuts about him. How you know, talking about how hard he runs for his size and everything. He's another Darren Sproles esque, like five eight. 200 pound guy you know yeah. but i i liked what, what i saw with him you know not, not nothing too ridiculously breakout or anything but again nitpicking goods i i had him on my list here yeah i wouldn't argue with that um dude's probably gonna end up getting a little bit more playing time as well i would think out of this because he's been playing so well um now do you have anything else on the good the jay unfortunately not hate you all right now we go to the bad uh first up for me is gonna be mitch um his mechanics are all fucked up He's missing open receivers downfield. Um, he's just not looking like the guy, man. They're being pretty patient with him. And, you know, Mike Tomlin after the game said when he was asked when they were thinking about putting – if they were thinking about putting Kenny Pickett in, and he said, like, absolutely not, like, or absolutely no, however he answered it. But Trubisky's not looking real good, man. Yeah, not at all. And that's just – he's just not doing good enough. Hey, Ed, he finally broke the 200-yard the mark – for the first time with uh, 211 yards. But guess what goes in with that this game? No touchdowns. So, yep. you know, he's struggling to throw, throw for over 200 yards in the modern NFL. He only has, I, I think, two touchdowns. You know, the stats aren't in front of me. I think he only has two touchdowns so far in this year in three mm -hmm. games. I mean, that's just not enough. And I don't care what other excuses you're going to use. Uh, I don't know what the answer is. If, if Pickett goes in, does that change everything? I, you know, I don't think so. But I think desperate times are calling for, you know, would, would we, I wouldn't even call a desperate measure. Would, would, would just, you know, push Tomlin's hand to try, try Kenny Pickett. You know, we're already getting there only through week three. We, we talked about it, man. If, if you're not being able to beat a shitty Patriots team, you, you can't beat the, the Cleveland Browns. The, the big test this week against the lowly Jets, uh, that's going to tell a lot. I mean, if we come out with a loss against the Jets and come out one and three, hey, Ed, then, I mean, you really need to do something. You know, that that might yeah. be the desperate times call for desperate measures. Uh, my, my first bad, hey, Ed, and it, it wasn't absolutely horrendous, but I still have to throw it in the bad because, uh, you know, you're talking about one of the best running backs in the NFL, but Chubb did have another 100-yard game to add to his resume uh, against the Steelers' run D. Uh, so I, I threw that in the bad because they gave up 100 yards. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, my last bad for this week is the second half offense. Everything that they did in the first half, they stopped doing in the second half. Um, they're just not making the right adjustments. They're just, they think they could just do what they want to do and impose their will on other teams. And that's not how it works. You have to change your game plan depending on the players you're playing against and the players that you have playing for you. Uh, and they're not doing that. Um, they're still not attacking the middle of the field. Um, they, they went away from the tempo stuff. They just were starting to become completely ineffective. Yeah, it's a good call. And I'm, I'm ready for ugly hate. You know, so just let's do it. Whatever rest of the bad. So th this first one I'm throwing out, hey, Ed, is just an ugly, ugly stat. The defense missed TJ Watt and historically do not win without him. They yep. are now 0-6 when Watt is on the sidelines. That is yeah. ugly. They can't win without TJ. Yeah, I mean, that's what I have. Here. Oh, and six, man. 
the defense. I have the run defense on here as well because you already brought that up. Um, they're not performing. Um, it, Dude, I saw – this is fucking crazy. I don't know if you realize this or not, but right now, Miles Jack is second in the NFL in tackles. And do you know who leads the NFL in sacks currently? Um, not Aaron Donald? Nope. Who is it? I'll give you a clue. He plays for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Is it Cam Hayward? Nope. Who is it, Hey, yo? I'll give you one more guess. I'll, I'll tell you this. It's not a like a trick question. It's if if the guy was wasn't hurt, it would be him. Hmm. Not uh, Haysmith. Haysmith leads Highsmith. the NFL. He, yeah, he has four go. and a half sacks. He currently leads the NFL right now. Wow. And I've even seen people mention this dude as the weak link on the team. Yeah. Well, he leads the league in sacks. So throw that at them, Hale. Yeah, so it's but you know the run defense still is is terrible. So you know, and it's it just it, poor tackling too in this game, which is which was a mess. Well, yeah, that was um, the ugly. Was they they made Brissett look like he was this you know in control rhythmic quarterback, Amari Cooper, who I do have on fantasy. Speaking of fantasy, with a hundred one yards and a touchdown, best game of the year he's had so far. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's that's where I'm at with uh, my uglies. You got any more? I have two more. No, I mean, just, you know, just the loss and, uh, again, losing to the Browns and just going one and two to start here is just a big ugly. And like we mentioned, it's going to be a big test to see what they do against a, a Jets team. Yeah. Uh, I, I also put on mine uh, no offensive identity. Like, they don't have a plan when they come. Like, are they going to run the ball? Are they going to pass the ball? Like, they don't fucking know what they're going to end up doing. Um, and obviously, my last one is the Deontay Johnson drops. Yeah, uh, it's a lot problem. Of drops. Yeah, you, you got to knock that shit off, man. And I was just defending them. Like, you know, remember I even said like a week or two ago about Deontay Johnson. Like, and that's probably like, ugly too because you're throwing that out there. And he was probably the offensive player of the night, all things considered, with six catches, 63 yards, and a fumble recovery. You know, yeah. But, but I then mean, he had those key drops. It just imbalances it. Yeah, you can't be the best receiver and the guy that has the most drops. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. that's just not how it works. So right. that's it for our Steeler coverage. Let's go over to our picks from last week. As we already mentioned, we lost the Steeler game. Both of us picked the Steelers to beat the Browns. That didn't happen. Browns won 29-17. Uh, next up was the Texans losing to the Bears in Chicago 23-20, and I believe we both picked that one correctly. Correct. Uh, the Titans would go on to beat the Raiders 24-22, to and I know I picked that one wrong. Did you, the Jay? Yeah, double L's. We both picked the uh, Oakland. But yeah, it was 0-3, the only 0-3 team. And, dude, they they might be the biggest disappointment in the league so far this year, but we'll, we'll get into that uh, later on. Uh, but it's pretty crazy so far how this is all shaken out. Uh, speaking of crazy, we saw the Colts at home. Uh, beat the Chiefs 20-17 to 17 in a game that both of us definitely lost. Didn't call that one. Uh, in what was most likely, you know, the game of the weekend, in my opinion, was the Thursday night game. Or not the Thursday night game. I'm sorry, the Sunday night game. Uh, the Dolphins and Bills. Uh, the Dolphins would go on to win the game 21-19. to 19, And uh, I know I picked that one right, and I think you picked the Bills, the Jay. 
Yeah, I did pick the Bills. That was Sunday at one. Hey, you know, that was like the yeah. prime time one game. But yeah, that was an amazing game. Uh, mugs were just exhausted after that game. In the yeah, it was like hundred degrees. They, they were yeah, mentioning that there was like mugs collapsing. But yeah, great game. Could have went either way. But good call sticking in with the Dolphins, like you said. We'll be talking a little bit more about uh, where the Dolphins sit right now. But a huge win and the J pick the Bills. So I got the L. Hey, Ed snuffed that out with the big dub. Uh, next up, I think we both picked this one wrong as well. The Vikings at home losing to or beating the the Lions twenty eight to twenty four. Yep, both both picked the Vikings. Uh, the Ravens would go on to beat the Patriots thirty seven to twenty six in a game that was not as close as it looked on the scoreboard. And I believe we both picked the Ravens there. Yeah, had that one. Uh, then we saw the Bengals get their first win of the season, beating the Jets twenty seven to twelve in a matchup that we both picked. I believe. Yep. Got the bangs. And what I figure was the most dominating performance of the weekend, we saw the Eagles defeat the Commanders 24-8 to in a matchup that we both picked as well. We had that, yep. Uh, the Saints would lose to the Panthers 22-14 to in surprising fashion, and I believe we were both wrong on that one. Yeah, both wrong. The Saints offense really struggling. Another surprising one, the Jags beat the Chargers 38-10. to uh, with an injured Justin Herbert playing as well. Uh, we both got that one wrong as well. Yep. Uh, we had the Rams defeat the Cardinals 20-12, to and I believe we split on that one because I picked on the that. Rams. The, yeah, the Jay was thinking of sniffing out a little bit of an upset there. It didn't happen. Uh, the Atlanta Falcons would go on to get their first victory, beating the Seahawks 27-23 to in a pretty strong contest, and I believe we both picked that one correctly. Got that one, yep. I think we split on this next one. Uh, the Packers would beat the Buccaneers 14-12 to in Tampa Bay. Yeah, I picked the freaking Bucks. And I lost these next two, but the 49ers would lose to the Broncos 11-10 to in a large-hitting baseball game that broke out in Denver. <laughs> yeah, we both had Denver and lost. And I lost this one as well. The Cowboys on Monday Night Football defeat division rival Giants 23-16. to Yeah, we both lost that one. Hey, yo. All right, so I was 8-8 eight and eight this week, the Jay. So hit me with your record and then give us the overalls that we have here. I was 6-10, uh, and 10, so, yeah, not, okay. not very good. And so that brings us to I am 21-27, and 27, and you, Hayat, are 27-21. and 21. All right. Not too great this year, but Dude, it's I, been – I'm really struggling. It's been difficult, though. I'm not going to lie, man. Like, there's definitely been, you know, a lot of – you know, which is fun. It's all over the place. We talk about the the current parody. NFL parody, and it, yes. it's really still there, strong. Obviously. All right, so let's take a look at next week before we do our power rankings here. The J. Uh, f- so the first game up is the Jets versus the Steelers. Uh, this might be the last time I do this this year, the J, because I don't think I've picked one right correctly. But I'm going to go with the Steelers again this week. Yeah, I'm going to have to go with the Steelers against the Jets. Uh, we have the Dolphins taking on the Bengals. Who do you like in this one, the Jay? Yeah, Bengals kind of getting their first win. We'll see what happens with just a horrendous start. But loving these Dolphins, short week can throw things off on the road. However, and you know the Dolphins in a really what we, we talked about it a barn burner in the heat. A lot of mugs collapsing, but I, I really feel strongly about the Dolphins. I don't want to pick them against them this this week. I'm going to go with the Dolphins. 
Yeah, I agree with you. I'm going to go with the Dolphins as well. Uh, next up, we have the Vikings going to New Orleans to play the Saints. Uh, to me, the Saints are just incredibly off balance right now. Uh, I don't believe in much of what they're doing anyways, and I think the Vikings still managed to stick in there, so I'm going to go with Minnesota this week. I'm with you as well. Yeah, I think the Saints' offense is really struggling, and like I said, I had a lave in fantasy. He was about the only thing good in their offense uh, last week, so uh, I say Vikings all the way. Next up, we have the Browns going into Atlanta to take on the Falcons. Who do you like here, the Jay? Oh, this is a tough one because the Falcons are like, again, having that MO like we talked about where they can't finish, but they hang in there most weeks. So will this be the week that they can get over a Browns team that, you know, watching that game against the Steelers, I, I still didn't see much out of them. Of course, they got really good running backs, some some possibility with, with the way Brissett is. They, they have, you know, Amari Cooper now kind of stepping up. Okay, defense. Uh, as I do, hey, I'm talking out loud to kind of make my pick. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with the Browns actually in this one. Okay, I'm gonna go with the Falcons in this one specifically just because of the stuff with Miles Garrett. I don't even know if he's gonna end up playing for sure this week. So uh, yeah, I just think the Falcons are gonna stick in there, and they're playing at home too. So that's why I'm going with them for the upset. Uh, next up is the Washington Commanders taking on the Cowboys. Can Cooper Rush go undefeated four and zero as a starter to the J? I'm gonna go with yes. Yeah, I'm going to go with the Cowboys in this one. Also, we have the Seattle Seahawks going into Detroit to play the Lions. Who you favor in here, the Jay? I'm going to go with the Lions. We've been picking them. I, I like them. I'm biased from the hard knocks, but fuck it. It's just what's real picks. I'm going to go with the Lions. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. I'm going to go with the Lions as well. Uh, we have the Titans going into Indianapolis to play the Colts. Uh, the Colts seemingly getting back on track by beating Kansas City this weekend, but I don't see them doing it again. I think the Titans roll in this one. All right, I'm going to go with the Colts. Okay. We have the Chicago Bears taking on the Giants, probably the uh, longest standing two teams in the NFL history here. Uh, which one uh, are you going with here, the Jay? Oh, it's up on the Giants, and then they lose to the Cowboys. You know, the Bears are kind of all over the place. Uh, I'm going to stick with the Giants at home, though. Yeah, I like the Giants at home, too. Uh, next up, this is going to be, I think, one of the best games of the weekend. The Jacksonville Jaguars go to Philadelphia to take on the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, the Jaguars are actually starting to resemble a football team again, the Jay, and Trevor Lawrence is having a great season. Uh, with that being said, I think it'll be a good game, but I still think the Eagles are going to fly and go 4-0. I'm with that breakdown. Hey, Ed, couldn't have said it better myself, and I'm, I'm with the Eagles as well. Next up, is the Bills going to Baltimore to play the Ravens? Both teams are 2-1, and one, both needing a big win. Who do you like in this one, the Jay? Man, this is a tough one. Another really good game. This might be one of those ones where, where home field can sway it, but I, I think the Bills are going to come, come swinging after that loss. I, I like the Bills in this one, actually. Okay, so here's what I'm going to say. So there were some injured guys for the Bills last week, right? And who would you say is the player for most most responsible for beating the Bills last week? For beating the Bills? Um, well, Tua got knocked out. And but did, did you watch the game? Yeah. Okay. So when Tua was, Tua was in the game, they were rolling. Right. When Teddy Bridgewater was in the game, how did they do? Not good. Exactly. So I was kind of leading towards two of theirs, the reason the player that beat gotcha. the Bills. Gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, and they're playing a team this week that at the quarterback position might be significantly better than Tua. So for that, I'm going with Baltimore. Good I think. Good thinking, hey? Good logic. I, I, 
I think Lamar is going to have a very good game. Um, but it's going to be good. Like the the Bills are still the best team in the NFL as far as their all around team. They're just banged up, but you have to consider that whenever you're doing this shit. So yeah, it, it matters. Is what it is. Uh, next up is the uh, Chargers going into Houston to take on the Texans. Um, I'm not really impressed with either one of these teams at this point. Um, I think the Chargers are, you know, a little bit better. Um, it's unclear at this point if Justin Herbert's going to play this week, but I really don't like Houston, so I'm going to go with the Chargers. Yeah, again, very, very similar line of thinking. I'm going with the Chargers for many of the same reasons. Next up is Cardinals and Panthers. Who do you like here, the J? I think the the cards come come back here. I, I like the yep. cards. No, same here. Uh, the Patriots go into Green Bay to play the Packers and Aaron Rodgers. I think the Packers go to three and one here and beat the Patriots, especially without Mac Jones. Yeah, I don't like the Patriots. Period. Let alone without Mac Jones this week. Uh, we have a division rivalry. The two and one Broncos go into Las Vegas to play the Raiders, who are zero and three. Who do you like here, the Jay? I'm going to go with the Broncos. Yeah, you know what? I don't like the Broncos, um, and I think the Raiders are really getting to the breaking point. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say in a last ditch effort, the Raiders actually win this one at home. Okay. Uh, next up is the Kansas City Chiefs going into Tampa Bay to play the Buccaneers. This game might actually end up getting moved because of the hurricane. I don't know exactly how they're gonna handle this. Um, because of all that, especially and the fact that Tom Brady has no receivers, the Jay, I'm gonna go with Kansas City in this one. Yeah, again, it's another back, you know, comeback game here with the Chiefs getting upset by the Colts. I don't see that sitting well with Andy Reid and Mahomes and, and, and the Chiefs. So I'm going with the Chiefs here. Next up, we have the Rams on Monday Night Football taking on their division rival, the 49ers. Uh, what do you like here, the Jay? Uh, the 49ers have been struggling recently. Garoppolo's kind of doing what what he can do. He's like a serviceable quarterback. It's one of those situations, but definitely not elite. And I think that creates their offense to struggle. And, and again, some injuries in there. Uh, I'm saying the Rams roll on Monday Night Football. Agreed. So, yeah, that's where we're at with that. Now it is my personal favorite time of the week for our NFL coverage. Of course, I'm talking about the What's Real Power Rankings. What's Real NFL Power Rankings? It's the place each week where me and the J rank each and every team in the NFL from worst to first. So the J, number 32 for you this week, my friend. Have at it. All right. No singing. I mean, we've had some... uh... Texan yokels in the past, but you know maybe we'll be bringing uh, on some some new characters and cur- characters. Period to lighten up things in the power rankings as we do here on the What's Real podcast, but not this week. I'm starting off the bowels of the power rankings with number 32 and the Houston Texans. Hey, you, great minder, brother, because that's exactly where I'm at. So get us with 31 this week. 31, I have the lowly New York Jets. At 31 this week, the Jay, this might be surprising to you, but like I told you, it's the they're the biggest disappointment in the NFL this season, sitting at 0-3 right now. This is where I have the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, they've played good in some games, but they've lost every one of them. So that's kind of where I stand with them right now. Yeah, uh, I agree. Who, I teetered on that because uh, I have the Panthers, then the Raiders. Okay, so this week at 30, that's where I have the New York Jets. About that. I'm getting blown up here with the What's Real Studios. Hey, yo. But, uh, and, and at 29 this week, that's where I have the Seattle Seahawks. Okay, yeah, I had the Raiders at 29 if you want to continue from there. Hey, yo. 28 this week is the Washington Commanders. 
All right. I had the Falcons at 28. 27 this week, even though it's after their first win. Uh, this is where I have the Cincinnati Bengals. They just beat the Jets. I'm not going to freak out. All right. This is where I have the Seattle Seahawks at 27. 26 is where I have the Carolina Panthers. All right. This is where I have the Washington Commanders. And at 25, that's where I have the Atlanta Falcons. All right. 25, I dropped the Lions. 24 this week, uh, especially without their quarterback. This is where I have the New England Patriots. That is almost a great minder. At 24, I dropped our own Pittsburgh Steelers. And 23, uh, just a piggyback ahead, is where I have the Pats. And 23 this week is where I have the Pittsburgh Steelers. And 22 this week is where I have a team that you already named, the Detroit Lions. Yeah, again, it's, uh, you know, we're different slots, but, you know, the chunk of the same teams. You know, know what we're, we're talking about for the lowly teams here. At 22, that struggling offense we've been talking about with the New Orleans Saints. And at 21 this week, just missing the top 20 for me, this is where I have the Tennessee Titans. All right, that's where I put the Chicago Bears. And just into the top 20, going out really fast, the team you just mentioned, the Jay, this is where I have the Saints this week. All right, and uh, with a big upset win, the Indianapolis Colts, who were dropping a bit, stay in the top 20 at 20 for the Jay. At 19 this week, this is where I have the Arizona Cardinals. And at 18 this week, that's where I have the Colts after their big win. All right, yeah, 19 is a great minder with the cards. 18, I have the New York Giants. At 17 this week, this is where I have the San Francisco 49ers. They're dropping really fast. Okay, they're coming up for me, but this is where I put a little bit higher than you, the Tennessee Titans. Number 16 this week, this is where I have the Chicago Bears. Okay, this is where I put the Dallas Cowboys. And, dude, listen to this, because this was a team that I had in my top five pretty consistently. But this week at number 15, this is where I have the Los Angeles Chargers. All right, that's a piggybacker at 15. This team is actually rising a bit with the Jacksonville Jaguars, and that piggyback at 14 is where I placed the Los Angeles Chargers. 14 this week is where I have the Cleveland Browns. Okay, so 13, hey, I'll throw this and you could take over. I have the 49ers at 13. At 13 this week, that's where I have the Denver Broncos. And at twenty or 12 this week, that's where I've – and this is the highest they've ever been on my list since we started doing the show, the Jay. This is where I have the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah, wow. That's 12 is where I put the Broncos. And just missing out on the top 10, they were just in there last week. This is where I have the New York Giants. Right, this is where I place the Cleveland Browns. Now we get into the top 10, the top Jay. 10. This is, is going to be pretty interesting. So this week at number 10 for me is the Dallas Cowboys. All right. Yeah, this is a team that you would think would be in the top 10 a lot more off to a really sputtering start, but started getting in some winning ways with their first win of the season this past week. At 10, I have the Cincinnati Bengals. At number nine this week, uh, after this weekend, man, the fact that they have so many injuries and they just and they have one of the best defenses in the league, but they just do not look right on offense. And I mean, all around. Uh, this is where I have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Jay at number nine. I'm right with you. Great minds. Hey, uh, Tampa Bay Bucks at nine. Number eight is the defending world champions, L.A. Rams. All right. At nine, uh, or I'm sorry, at eight, I have the Minnesota Vikings. At seven this week, this is where I have the Green Bay Packers. All right. That's a great minder. And six is a team you already mentioned. This is where I have the Minnesota Vikings. All right. At six is where I place the Ravens just out of the top five. All right, this is going to be interesting, the Jay. So number five this week for me 
is the Kansas City Chiefs. All right, this is where I put the Los Angeles Rams. Number four this week for me is the Baltimore Ravens. All right, four for the J is the Chiefs. Number three, the J for me this week is the Buffalo Bills. Oh, wow. All right, top three. This is where I have the Soaring Eagles. And that's who I have at number two. All right, that's where I kept the Bills, but I think we're concurring at the current the, best team in the NFL. It's the <laughs> Miami Dolphins, the Oh, Jay. yeah. And as you and, know, hey, I got a shout-out. That's my second team from going down to Florida since I was a kid, so love them where they're at now. And, dude, you have to understand, I was praising this team during the Brian Flores years. You were. And, and, dude, I don't know if you know this or not, so I wanted to throw this out there. Do you know what Tua's record as a starter is in the NFL his last 10 games? No, because I know they went on that crazy win streak after the, you know they lost seven, then won seven, so that might have bumped it up. What, what is it? Nine and one in yeah, his last ten that's, games. That's impressive. Too. And again, we talked about it a little bit earlier. What, what did they look like whenever Bridgewater was in the game? Like shit. And his numbers were not insane. Okay, it's it's the same way he was touted in college, and I'm starting to see it translate here to the NFL. His numbers almost don't matter. If he's in the game, he's like the good luck charm. They just win. It might be ugly. It might be whatever, but they still pull it out. And I know everybody wants to talk like, you know, oh, Buffalo had a bunch of dudes hurt. Well, Miami did too. So it's not like. Yeah, right. It bounces out. And dude, the best part about this. So in that game, it was hotter than hell on the field. Obviously, it affected the play of the Buffalo Bills. They go up to Buffalo to play them later on in the season when it's going to be really fucking cold. So that's just going to be another marquee matchup again. It's it's not going to be easy to beat the Buffalo Bills twice in one season. But Miami's been extremely impressive, I think, in these three games. Like I know that like a lot of people aren't ready. I've even seen some like other power rankings and stuff. And like I made mine, and then I saw a few of them afterwards. And a lot of people were not really willing to move Buffalo too far down. I've seen people putting the Eagles at the top, which I could have too. But to me, the Dolphins got two major wins the last two weeks. And we've talked about this too on the show, the Jay. The best teams in the NFL win those games. It doesn't matter if they win by 50 or whatever. They pull out the tough wins. And that's what Miami's been doing so far this year. Almost better than anyone else in three games. I've, I've... Definitely concur, hey, Ed. That's that's the way you got to look at it. It's all about the dubs at the end of the day. And Miami beat what is possibly, arguably, the best team in the NFL. Injuries are not with Buffalo. So that's why they are El Numero Uno. And I seen something else, too, that it was like um, the last time they were 3-0 in a season was 1972. Wow. So there you go. Crazy. And that was the year they went undefeated, in case you guys didn't know at home. So uh, <laughs> we are up against another commercial break. Uh, and whenever we come back on the show, me and the Jay are going to take a look at season five of Cobra Kai. So stay tuned for that. We will be back right after this on the What's Real podcast. <laughs> It's coming. The 31 days of October is coming to the What's Real Podcast. <laughs> Shit!
And we're back, and it is time to get into some Cobra Kai Season 5. Of course, this season we have 10 episodes, and, uh, you know, as we get started out on the the season, uh, we have Miguel in Mexico. Uh, They're kind of getting you caught up with everything from the the last season and where everybody kind of stands. And basically, the gist of it is they're all separated. Uh, Johnny's trying to figure out what's going on with Miguel. Like, you know, you have that kind of stuff. And then everybody's getting back into like the school year type of thing. So it's just setting the table for everything for the year. I must say at at the outset though, I did kind of like the, the way they kind of twisted it because I, I know you and I discussed it a bit, which is obviously why we're covering it on the, on the show. We love our consistency and we've been watching Cobra Kai and reviewing the the seasons that have been on since we've been doing what's real and everything. And at the end of season four last year, when Miguel was heading to Mexico, we're like, dude, this could be maybe, you know, some somehow entangled with a character from the past. That's Miguel's dad or that Miguel's dad is just like this Mexican cartel drug Lord kind of thing. And they, they kind of, they do kind of play with that a bit because he, he runs into a couple different guys that could possibly be his dad. And everything yep. like that. So, so that was interesting, just at the, the outset. Yeah, and of course, the the second episode gets into that even more so. Uh, so, Chosen and Daniel are trying to plot against Terry in this one, uh, and then obviously in Mexico, you have Robbie and Johnny looking for Miguel, who's trying to discover the truth about his dad. Uh, nothing too crazy in this one. You're basically getting, you know, the, like rectifying the stuff that was going on with with Johnny. And, you know, uh, why am I brain farting on his name again? I just said it. Um, Robbie. His, Robbie. Fuck. Um, so, like, they're just kind of setting the table for that kind of stuff. And, you know, and then this is also the episode, too, where you find out about his dad, Miguel's dad. And then he ends up going back with them uh, at the end of the episode as Johnny and uh, Robbie kind of show up at a really bad time. Um, but, you know, dude, th- this one kind of annoyed me because it really felt like the whole stuff with Miguel's dad was just a time waster. There's really nothing of vital importance here other than just, you know, setting up something for Miguel to do for a couple episodes. Right. And that's, that's what kind of, like I said, that was my only interest in that was it kind of did trick me. I thought it was going to like be this whole big twist and it wasn't that, you know, and and it was, it was also an excuse for Robbie and Johnny's characters to kind of have that father son bonding experience with their trip to Mexico to find Miguel. So that was cool. Like there was like one of my bullet points was that funny part where when Miguel first shows up and he's trying to find his dad, he's like asking for directions and those like, uh, are they like Aussie surfers or some such thing down in Mexico? Yeah. yeah they have like, surfer dudes. Yeah. They like have like a scheme with tourists and stuff. And of course, Robbie and Johnny kind of call him out and get in a fight with them. And, and then you of course got the, uh, what, what this show's known for with the, the karate scene, (laughs) the karate action, but Johnny, we got to say too at the beginning, still just, he's my favorite character, man. Still killing me. Same. Yeah. Yeah, Same thing. Hilarious. He he basically holds down the first couple episodes for sure. Yeah. And then it even, it it becomes more so because in the third episode, that's when you kind of get into more Johnny and Carmen's romance. Uh, Obviously uh, 
the stuff that's going on with Terry isn't just starting to affect Daniel. It's starting to affect his wife and his family and stuff like that. And then you also get kind of like a return to the stuff that people really like about the show. And even though this is incredibly cheesy and goofy, I'm talking about all the teens feuding uh, in the water park, uh, which was there was some funny stuff. But like even at this point, I'm like it, it, it really started to feel like the show's like starting to jump the shark at this point. It, it kind of doesn't. But like this really had the makings of like some stupid shit. I, I watch this with with my family. So it's my wife and I and our, our two younger kids that are almost nine and 11. And this this part, they they end up trying to settle their differences by challenging each other, you know, Cobra Kai and the Agido to a water slide race. And yeah. we're, you know, that's what we're just like, how can you even like, you can't control the speed of the water slide really. Like it was so stupid. Of course the, you know, Hawks, uh, raft gets punctured and everything. And, and they're, they're starting to kind of plant the seeds with, uh, the, the young black kid, I forget his name offhand, but he's, he's going to be like, Kenny is kind of turning into the big, the biggest heel. And I kind of like that. I like how the way that they were doing that, you know, it's like kind of, a, I mean, I hate him. So yeah, it works good. Then, then it works. Yeah. <laughs> Classic healed him. Exactly. Of course too. I, I forgot to mention too, in the third episode, uh, we see another enemy from Daniel's past resurfacing the J as a guy who owns a furniture store. The bad boy of karate. The bad boy of karate himself, which, dude, literally, he was one of the bright spots of this whole season. Even though he's he's very sparing. Yeah, I, I think good. you could tell they're, they're probably going to bring him in full-time for next season. But, like, that that character was a... Like, I mean, they at the time, like, you figure in the third movie, that was, like, bar none, the baddest fucking dude that he ever fought. So, yeah, you know, bringing him back. And they kind of did the fluky thing with it. Like, you, you know what I mean? Like, did Daniel really, really beat him? Like, so they're kind of bringing all that kind of stuff back, too. But uh, that it, that's really the only thing that's interesting in that episode. And, of course, we see the furniture store get lit on fire. Uh you know, which of course Terry had something to do with because he always has something to do with everything. Uh, and then that kind of leads to like more of the stuff that we're seeing. Like you're you're starting to see like the evil villain shit with with Terry this season. It's he's not a, just the he talks stuff. Talk about good heels. He's a great heel. Yeah, he is good. Yep. He's really he's good because that's that's kind of what's going on here. Like the backbone of everything too that we're talking about is is all Terry schemes and everything going on with him. Because because for those that don't know, his plot point is that he's trying to franchise Cobra Kai and it is really yep. growing. Yeah, he's like taking on low income students and he's buying. Yeah, all, all, which was cool. It was in the area. It was a cool like, storytelling part with with that kind of stuff. Well, while why he's it, doing it because it, it can be yeah. really cheesy. So some of that stuff stands out. That's actually really good writing. Yeah, and it actually puts, uh, I'd say, really for the first time, uh, you know, the Miyagi-Do and Cobra Kai kids, or, the you know, the Eagle Fang kids, I should say, really are at a disadvantage in this season. Uh, they're super outnumbered. They're just, they're not, this is like one of them seasons where a lot of stuff has fallen apart kind of a deal. Yeah. And, of course, Terry starts to bring in some recruits and an expert to help him out, like a whole new training staff. I'm pretty sure Ty Tyron Woodley was one of the guys. Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, uh, so, and of course, this is where you're starting to see Daniel kind of turn away this season too. Like they're kind of shifting the character a little bit. And while Johnny and Chosen are like the guys that are kind of like 
you know, like, no, fuck that. We got to go do this. And he's like, we shouldn't be doing this anymore. Like, and of course, you're also getting the updates for the first time with Crease in prison, realizing that he's working with Tori or trying to work with Tori on getting rid of Silver and trying to figure out, you know, how Cobra Kai can be brought back to prominence. So, and there, there is a lot of funny stuff this season too with Crease being in jail. Yeah, because he's going to the strength and. You know, he's kind of trying to play mind games with her. And, of course, he's working on trying to get an early release from prison. So they kind of play up on that, which is pretty entertaining. And, if, you know, of course, his shenanigans in the prison, which we can build to. But he ends up becoming, like, known as sensei in the prison as well. Yep. And you see a few different things going on here throughout Episode 7, too. Uh, there's some different challenges that everybody's facing. You know, Chosen starts teaching his students a different t- kind of lesson. Uh, and then you're starting to that see... That was really good. That was, I, that was like With one of my eggs, favorite parts of the With the eggs, the teamwork yeah. lesson. Yeah. Yep. Like, I, dude, I really like the... Cho- they've done a really good job with the Chosen character and trying... Like, it feels like... Like, some characters just get brought back to get brought back. Like, Elizabeth Shue was kind of like that. But like chosen to me, they not only did they bring them back, but I felt like they've done a really good job of kind of like fleshing out the character, almost like is like a junior version of what they did with Johnny originally. So I kind of hope we see that with the bad boy of karate too, like just because I think like those are the villains that we're the most invested in because they're in the original series. So like if they could bring those characters back and kind of find ways to still keep them interesting and have revelations and stuff like that, that's like one of the winning parts of the series to me. Exactly. That's like their secret is taking these villains and just like how they play with Daniel's son's character about maybe being the ultimate protagonist and good guy. And in the the Cobra Kai series, they explore the fact that he's, he's as flawed as anybody. And he almost turns into a villain a lot of different times. And then he swings back. And of course that it's like that with Johnny. And then, you know, now you bring in the, like you were saying, the past villains and now they're becoming the, the heroes too. You know, yeah, it's, and then, it's and then you have like the complete villains, like the that's you know Terry's like the ultimate heel, and of course you know Crease is is kind of complicated. They they go back to his flashbacks as as him as a kid, which is cool exploring that. He does that with the the shrink. You know, they kind yeah. of do the flashbacks and kind of tell more of his story on why he is the way he is and everything. Well, I mean, dude, think about it this way, and I'm sure you've heard this before, and it's it cracks me up when people think that like Crease is going to be the good guy. What did Crease start in the whole thing of Cobra, or of Karate Kid? No Mercy. Well, which is part of what? Cobra Kai. Yes. A Cobra is a what? Yeah, it's killing machine. Never, never, it's a snake. Never, never trust, trust a fucking yeah. snake. That's literally the point that Crease is a fucking snake. That's yeah. the, the, the lesson from day one of all of this. So, and of course, we see Johnny and Daniel actually going into prison to meet with Crease. And which was less than enthusiastic affair from his point of view. Uh, so you kind of have that deal. Like they tried to do the right thing, but, you know, it's just not going to work out. Um, obviously, they're working on the Elite International Tournament. Um, it ignites a fight between the dojos. Tori gets called out on her loyalties uh, because she basically exposes the fact that she's been dealing with Crease. She does it in an effort to try and warn everybody from Yagi-Do what's actually happening. It creates a big old problem. And, of course, they get more into the relationship or the troubled relationship of Miguel and Sam. Um, A lot of these episodes here at this point are kind of just setting the table for everything to come. But, you know, they're all like after the fifth episode or so, I thought everything kind of really got going in this. So, like, these are like the meaty episodes that we're talking about now. 
Yeah, for sure. And I like this plot point with the elite international tournament because obviously it brings up more excuses to have some karate action that the series is known for, uh, which is cool, man. Like like we said, that this this show really finds that balance of, of cheesiness and kind of wink, wink writing, you know, and they do really yeah. good with that. And there is some good fight scenes and choreography too, which is like throughout this. And dude, one thing I wanted to bring up because it really comes into play in the next episode that we're talking about here is without a doubt, in my opinion, at least, and it's, it's like, I'm confused by it. So, you know, the dude who plays Stingray. Yeah. Dude's a really good actor but he does weird shit for whatever reason. Like, I don't know if it's a choice or if he just doesn't get roles. Cause, and I'm not trying to be an asshole here by the way that he looks like, I don't know, but they made him one of the cheesiest characters on the show. And they eventually <laughs> make him detestable. Okay. And the He's way singing, that, uh, Judas. Uh, yeah, dude, dude, I was uh, dying during yeah. that. Cause like, dude, I, okay. First up, I'm like watching the show and they're like looking for some, like they're like on a stakeout and he pulls in in the Cobra Kai car and it's playing. And I'm like, ah, they got Judas in the thing. And then it's, they're like, all right, he's going in the house. And then it cuts to him like opening the front door and he's like, Judas in, Judas in my mind. And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, oh, Christ, they got him singing this shit, too. But uh, but what I was going to say is, dude, I was really impressed with how they've made that character. Like, the ebbs and flows of the character are actually really good because he ends up becoming a redeeming character this season after a lot of the shit that he did. And it just, it really works well as a character. And I mean, hey, no credit to the people of Cobra Kai. Like, if other people aren't going to cast this fucking dude, and he's a pretty decent actor fucking bring him in you can use him on this shit he's worked out really well for them and like i think like when it's all said and done for cobra kai like he's definitely going to be one of the most memorable characters yeah i really like the scene where he's playing the dungeon master when everybody all yes. the students confront him and he he doesn't want to completely put everything on the table so he's kind of giving them the story in code and he's like telling the the campaign of a Dungeons and Dragons storyline on what his real story is and everything. Well, dude, uh, you know, the, the warrior monk kind of thing and all that. It's so weird because it is like a karate show, right? And a lot of the stuff about karate and shit, it has to do with like respect and honor and good and evil and shit like that. But like the, and that was a big lesson in the original karate kid stuff too. You know what I mean? Like how, like the good supposed to be good and how they're supposed to be good. Right. right. But, but on this show, I think that they've kind of like maneuvered the point to being like, there is no evil. Like you, you don't understand people's circumstances and situations that lead them to be the way that they are. And even the worst of people can kind of redeem themselves. So like it's a redemption story for like 50 different people. So like, it's not really difficult to see why people enjoy the show and root for the characters and kind of have investment in them and what they're doing, especially when on top of that, you're also linking them to a fucking beloved series from the 1980s. Franchise, yeah. Exactly. And, and that leads into the the ninth episode uh, we're at, which was one of my favorites because they go out for a night on the town, Johnny, Daniel, and Chosen. It, and dude, it's hilarious. Because they Ridiculous. basically get hammered. And then, they, of course, there's, you know, they get kidnapped and it has to do with the fucking bad boy of karate once again. Like, and then, it, dude, I love him in this show because they're like, 
He's like, what the fuck is going on? And he's like, well, we're just trying to go fucking teach Silver a lesson. He's like, cool, then let's go over there now and beat his fucking head in. Yeah, like, let's go beat his like, ass. And, and Daniel's like, no, we. I mean, we can't do that. And Johnny and Chose are like, no, like we can. And that's like, fuck you. We're going to go do that right now. Yeah. <laughs> and dude, that whole thing, when they actually go to Silver's house and they're all fucked up and shit, like... It's funny, but it's also really good. Like, yeah, the last two episodes show, were really good. Well, dude, it's weird too because somebody brought this up. I saw on Twitter. They're like, you know, for a show that has such poor, like, on-screen karate, it's amazing how much fun this show is. And yeah, it's that's fucking what it is. true because yep. the choreography is not exactly mind-blowing with the fights, but it still manages to work. Everything works. It just it it's so weird. this show is such a fucking anomaly. Because I guarantee you we're going to see other shows try and do this and, and fail to. fucking exactly. miserably. Yeah, because it's like Cause embracing it, the cheese because that's half the fun. But that's yes. really that's what I keep saying. It's a really tough balancing act. To, to it's do. winking at you and it's not afraid to make fun of it. So like it realizes that like time has kind of soured a lot of that stuff. So they, you know, and, and they've even done that with the Johnny character, like. How, like, you know, he's, like, not PC, and they're like, uh, bro, like, you can't say that kind of shit anymore. Like, they really managed to work all that stuff in really well since the beginning of the series. And, like, admittedly, that's a very difficult thing to do from a writing perspective, for, even from an actor's perspective. Yeah, and, and which brings up another point that, that we missed. Uh, definitely uh, glad I thought of it. Definitely want to throw it out there F from a past franchise. You know, we're talking about the bad boy of karate from karate kid part three. They actually brought back the love interest, the redhead from karate kid part three. It, she is, I guess uh, who introduced Daniel to his wife in the past. They were high school friends. I and thought the, was the wife sister. They, I believe that they were just friends. Okay. They might've been, they're, yeah. they're related or something. Maybe I they're thought, cousins, possibly maybe something like and that. And then they, yeah, they end I, up getting a, a bar brawl and Sam yep. like kicks the shit out of the, the bully chick and everything. So that was worth mentioning. I, for, I forgot about that. Yeah. And that's, I think that's the thing too, that tells Amanda, you know, Daniel's wife that it's like, it's like Where his he, past is. Kind of, is. Yeah. Well, no, it's like, you guys are just destined in this shit. There's, you could leave Daniel and go away. There's still going to be fights. Like yeah. it just follows you guys. That's just what you're like a magnet for this kind of shit. So, but you know, and then, of course, I'm not going to give away the cliffhanger of the season. Uh, but I did like that. I thought it was cool. Um, this season was good. It wasn't great. I wasn't blown away by it, but it was fun. Um, but, dude, this is the one season, though, that's told me something definitively. And it might be a bummer for a lot of fans to hear the show. But it needs to be done after the next season. One more, and then that's it. Like, I don't, because it, it's they're just going to run it into the ground or it's going to jump the shark to the point where it's going to be unwatchable if they keep pushing it. Yeah, there's already a lot of character arts, arcs that feel recycled, you know, with the teen love stuff and everything else. Yep. And I, I get a part of it, and that's what we said. You embrace the cheesiness, but that's a big part of it. Uh, you know, as we, we shout out sometimes, this was a, a UK critic, James Jackson, because it's a really just quick, easy sum, summization of season five of Cobra Kai, as he says, as ever, Zabka provides the humor, Machio, the earnestness with various teenage subplots getting in the way, you know, but that's, that's kind of what it is, is like the, the two classic goofs and their dynamic, you know, being uh, over the hill characters now with running the, 
karate in the valley and all the teenage angst antics and everything else but uh that that's the best way to put this this show hey ed is it it is just really fun yeah and chances are if you guys are already watching it you're going to continue to watch it uh if you've never checked out an episode of it and you're listening to us i definitely recommend it especially if you have any love at all for the original karate kid or even if you kind of don't i still think you can kind of enjoy this as well But uh, that is our breakdown of Cobra Kai Season 5. I hope you guys enjoyed that. We are going to take another quick commercial break. And whenever we come back, it is time once again. And it's the last one before another hiatus, guys. The movies that made us. The Jays pick this week is Robert Rodriguez's El Mariachi from 1992. So stay tuned, guys. We'll be back right after this on the What's Real podcast. What's real, everybody? It's your boy, The Jay. The blue-eyed line himself in the blood flow and flesh spewing on the mic as I can only spew for this ad for Churchill Pictures and in turn its website, churchillpictures.com. We are Churchill Pictures, established from the bond of two childhood friends. We envision creating visual content that is completely original, thought-provoking, and most importantly, entertaining. The most recent of our two feature films, The Unsung, is now available to own as we are in a partnership with distributor Bayview Entertainment, and they are helping us put this great art out to the world. So help support, share the word, spread the word, and thanks as always for any and all support. Go to Vimeo.com to rent or buy streaming on Vimeo. Go to the awesome platform Amazon Prime. Rent or buy on Amazon at Amazon Prime, AmazonPrime.com. Or purchase the DVD for you collectors out there. You can buy the DVD from Walmart through walmart.com or buy the DVD from deepdiscountdvd.com. That's deepdiscountdvd.com for the unsung hope lives in the shadows. Check out churchillpictures.com to check out the trailer and all information today. Churchill Pictures, we create worlds. And we're back, and it is that time once again for the movies that made us. This week, uh, The Jay's Choice, directed by Robert Rodriguez from 1992, El Mariachi. Another reminder, guys, this is our last Movies That Made Us segment uh, probably for a little while. I mean, I know during October we're going to we're gonna take a hiatus for that. We're going to be doing the 31 Days of Halloween. Um, I don't know yet about November. We haven't really got too deep into that yet, but it is possible that uh, maybe it doesn't come back for the rest of the year even. So we'll see. But, um, you know, no plans as of yet, but it's definitely going to go on a hiatus at least for October. Um, But as I mentioned, El Mariachi, El Mariachi just wants to play his guitar and carry on the family tradition. Unfortunately, the town he tries to find work in has another visitor, a killer who carries his guns in a guitar case. The drug lord and his henchmen mistake El Mariachi for the killer, Azul, and chase him around town trying to kill him and get his guitar case. So the J, this is your choice. Uh, I know why, but tell the people why you chose El Mariachi this week. Yeah, we are truly, pun intended, going out with a bang, if anybody knows all about <laughs> El Mariachi yeah, being a, an action film. And, and you know, definitely a, a heck of a film to go out of our current run of the movies that made us here on the What's Real podcast. And this one defines the kind of quote-unquote gimmick that we came up with for our own version of you know, obviously this is like a spinoff of the net the Netflix series, original series, the movies that made us that goes behind the scenes on 
classic films that, that we really liked. And we were like, you know what, we're going to do uh, Hey Ed in the J podcast version of it. And, and not only put on our favorite movies of all time, but movies that truly impacted our actual lives. And El Mariachi of, of all films, maybe one of the ones that has the highest impact for that. Uh, as I must say, and I'm sorry for those that, that are regular listeners, that four of you out there, as we like to joke, <laughs> that uh, you know, it, for three years I've been talking about being um, an independent film as an independent film producer, writer, actor, all that kind of stuff uh, with Churchill Pictures. But this is one of the films that truly gave me inspiration to, in reality, pursue this, you know, as opposed to kind of being a kid and kind of in your own head and wondering one day if you ever could make movies or act in movies. And we always talk about we made our first what we considered our quote unquote student film uh, as teenagers with our friend Guillermo and his parents camcorder. And, and it was all kind of based on another one of our original segments. Hey, Ed, uh, Thursday Night Prime. It was like our version of a Thursday Night Prime action movie called Ring Heat. And that all goes into the inspiration of El Mariachi and, of course, Robert Rodriguez. So for, for those that, that are unaware, uh, hey, Ed uh, broke it down. But El Mariachi, of course, is a 1992 Spanish language, American independent neo uh, Western film and would become the first part of a saga that came to be known as Robert Rodriguez's Mexico trilogy. It marked the feature length debut of Rodriguez as writer and director. And the cool thing with Robert Rodriguez that, you know, what was an inspiration to me and why I kind of gravitated towards Robert Rodriguez as a filmmaker is because he reminded me uh, of myself in, in certain ways, like as a parallel where he would go on to talk about how he used to film his own movies with camcorders and how he would cut the film himself. And, and he was completely self-taught in, in everything to, to become a filmmaker, you know, and then this would become his first feature full length film. And of course, this uh, Spanish language film was shot with a mainly amateur cast in the northern Mexican border of Cuadad Acuna, Cojila, Mexico. And that's right across from Del Rio, Texas. Uh, this was the hometown, of course, the leading actor, El Mariachi himself, Carlos Gallardo. And he would spend, and this is this is huge, hey, Ed, and we'll get into it. And this, again, is why this movie is, is on here. And, and I'll use this word a ton in the description of El Mariachi, such an inspiration to myself, is that U.S. dollars, it was produced for $7,225. Uh, so production was originally intended for the Mexican home video market. You know, Robert Rodriguez was thinking action movies and straight to home video action movies uh, are, are a pretty big hit. You know, they they get distribution, they kind of get along, you know, get around. It's almost kind of a parallel to horror films and stuff of the time. And he was thinking, I'll just shoot a straight action movie, Mexican home video market. But executives at Columbia Pictures ended up liking the film so much that they bought the American distribution rights. So Columbia would eventually spend $200,000 to transfer the print to film, remix the sound, and do some other post-production work, then would spend millions more on marketing and distribution. But the film would be recognized by Guinness World Records as the lowest budgeted film to ever gross $1 million at the box office. So even beating out the other the one that would go to instant comparison, of course, the Blair Witch Project. But for any aspiring filmmaker and up-and-coming uh, up filmmaker, hey, Ed, as you know, this is a real-life dream come true. 
you shoot your original movie, your passion project for a little, little over $7,000 and it goes on to gross over 1 million. Uh, that's a, a fairy tale of a filmmaker come to life. Yeah, Robert Rodriguez put this movie out, like you said, to capitalize on the Mexican home video market and inadvertently created an adverse film school. And by that, I mean, people saw this movie and it inspired a whole generation of people to start making movies, as did the book that would come out after this called That's, Rebel Without a Crew. Yep, big uh, point that I had. It's obviously from Robert Rodriguez, and it's all about how him as a 23-year-old filmmaker with $7,000 became a Hollywood player. This became a roadmap of sorts for independent filmmakers. It's it's really weird because like in the 1990s, there were four movies, I think. Now, there's some more, obviously, in here, but there's four like Lynch Pillars. films. Yeah. Yes, of this. This is one of them, El Mariachi. Uh, Larry Clark's Kids is another one that we've mentioned on this segment before. Uh, another one is Clark's from Kevin Smith. And you mentioned the other one, which would be the Blair Witch Project. Throughout the 1990s, they kind of would like, you know, every one of them kind of had their own revolution of sorts uh, that they caused in the film industry. People making movies like them, people making movies in the vein of them, people using the techniques and the abilities that the, the filmmakers used making those movies to make their movies. Um, and of course, a lot of that stuff, and oddly enough, how weird is this? that Robert Rodriguez comes from one end of side of these things and somebody like a Quentin Tarantino comes from the other side of things and they kind of meet somewhere in the middle and would become friends and would work together, you know, somewhat frequently through the years. Um, but yeah, that that's kind of how filmmaking and stuff was in the 90s. And I think that's extremely important to us because, I mean, I know we're students of the game and we've since gone back. Obviously, you know, we were born in the 80s and watching movies in the 80s. So, you know, we had that time period, but we were able to go back, you know, decades even earlier than that to check out movies and kind of film history and stuff. But there was a time period where, like, this stuff was the only things that we'd really seen up to that point. So it was pretty monumental for people in our generation anyway to see this type of stuff. And it all got started with Mariachi in 92. And for me, of course, shout out to a mutual close friend of ours. He's actually my son's godfather, Guillermo, uh, of course, obviously of uh, Latino descent, you know, with his mother. Really? Yeah, he sure is. <laughs> yeah. Who would have thought Guillermo. With Guillermo, Guillermo. Uh, being his middle name, of course, that was his nickname growing up. Uh, but he introduced me to this, you know, he had the VHS copy and, and we had no clue. And I remember just again, watching it the first time as a teenager and just kind of realizing that, that this dude just took matters into his own hands. You know, you, you could just tell, but, but like he did it, you know, you're like, dude, this is yeah. a real movie, you know, like it's the first time I ever grasped the fact that like, maybe we could do this. And this was what inspired uh, the pre-forementioned ring heat of ours and would start, you know, me believing that maybe one day that I could do this, you know, and uh, to this day being, as, as I speak, uh, a 42-year-old man that's been uh, working on his own independent films since 2006, you know, 15 plus years of doing it. And, you know, two feature films on Amazon Prime under our belt and numerous really cool film projects in between, all inspired by films like El Mariachi and Robert Rodriguez. And, and you know, you have to you have to see things like that, Hey Ed, to, to really, you know, be able to, 
to take that risk and, and try to attempt to do something. Because if you're just going to watch, you know, like, and I know like a Cinderella story of sorts is Star Wars. You know, we talked about that where George Lucas uh, took a big risk a with Star Wars. Different kind it's, it's, of a, it's thing, a different though. thing because yeah. the, the other side of it too is he was a highly touted USC film, you know, film student and, and everything. Like, th- and that's my point is like, you might be, be seeing that in because of where I was at in my, my life at that time, I never thought to, to go to film school or anything like that, you know? So for me, just being kind of a regular dude that was passionate about films and wanted to, to become a filmmaker and just didn't know how to do it really, you know? And, and I just didn't have anybody holding my hand or, or giving me advice. I mean, my dad's a businessman. My mom's an art teacher. You know, it's where I get the creative side, I'm sure, from my mom, but she's not a filmmaker. And, and so things like this kind of open your eyes to the fact that you might possibly be able to do this. Like if Robert Rodriguez can put together a film on his own like this, then we can too, you know, and, and we made yeah. ring heat and, and and we started like UCW or backyard wrestling. We started filming it, did a lot of creative stuff there. And I dipped into doing creative things ever since. Uh, but that's why this is on this segment. And, and I won't digress too much because we want to talk about the movie uh, as well. But that's why this was on here. Hey, Ed was uh, like, as you said at the outset, you kind of knew it, w- it was just such a huge inspiration, and and just gave me the the kind of balls really to say, you know what? Just like Robert Rodriguez, I'm going to start making movies. You know, and Dude. and like you said, Rebel Without a Crew was such a, a huge thing for me. I was actually reading Rebel Without a Crew when I was producing my first ever full length feature film, Deference. I was reading it at at the building in the strip during the filming of that like you know leading into it and and that helped me like really get motivated see i think one of the most important things that i think people tend to lose too with robert rodriguez is he he would be like probably one of the last ones that i remember like that would actually go on to do pretty significant things is he's considered a regional filmmaker um he's straight out of austin texas that's where he he shoots pretty much everything he makes in texas uh, very similar to another person that we are very big proponents of on this show, which is George Romero, uh, was a regional filmmaker. Uh, like somebody like a William Griffay or a Herschel Gordon Lewis were also re- regional filmmakers. Uh, people that kind of post up in the state that they're from or where they live, and that's where they generally cast and shoot their movies. Um, it's incredibly more difficult to do something like that because. You know, whenever you're making movies in Hollywood, the whole entire town is movie centric. You have movie studios, you have movie companies, you have, you know, all type of wardrobe. Com- you just have every type of company out there that would assist within the making of a movie to any capacity because that's where an entire industry lays. Um, and regional filmmakers do not have that sort of access to things. But what they do have is access to sets and design that Hollywood studios couldn't create with $10 million or $100 million. So, um, it, you know, the regional filmmaker is an incredibly important filmmaker in the world of film. And I think that the film world would certainly benefit from even more of those because there's just, you know, there's never a shortage of places where you can shoot movies, as you know, the Jay. Um, so the regional filmmaker is incredibly important. And I think that, you know, Robert Rodriguez, considering he started out like that, made it pretty big in Hollywood and still managed to keep a career like that. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, and, and, and we, we shout out here as we speak on the show for any possible aspiring filmmakers that might be hearing us. We, we definitely recommend checking out El Mariachi you know, as a film. 
just to kind of see how he did it, especially back in the nineties with where we're at as we speak presently in 2022 and how far things have come. Uh, but it's just such a, a unique experience to see what Robert Rodriguez was able to do. And then of course, uh, in hand in hand with that rebel without a crew or how a 23 year old filmmaker with $7,000 became a Hollywood player. Uh, as we're talking about it's the 1995 nonfiction book by Robert Rodriguez, it's presented in a diary format it details Rodriguez's beginnings as a young filmmaker, his stint at a medical testing facility to raise money for a feature film, the making of that film, which is what we're talking about, of course, El Mariachi for $7,000, and his subsequent experiences in Hollywood selling the film and going to film festivals promoting it. Uh, but like we said, I mean, it's just a Cinderella story of, of making a $7,000 movie that would win at Sundance and, as we mentioned, get a huge deal with Columbia Pictures. They put millions of dollars into it and would launch a Hollywood career. Uh, of course, as Hey Ed mentioned, Robert Rodriguez befriending uh, the great Quentin Tarantino and doing many things with him and just making a litany of, of great yeah, Hollywood films, you know, very, very unique in and of himself, you know, things like Sin City, even uh, Machete, you know, which which might not get a lot of love, but even Machete Kills. I don't know if you've ever seen the sequel Machete Kills, but I actually like I think that. it's better. Yeah, yeah it's better. <laughs> you know, like you, like you always say, you don't like saying guilty pleasure because you like what you like, but it's definitely along those terms. Machete Kills is a guilty pleasure. And, and another one, his more recent Alita Battle Angel, I liked a hell of a lot. Uh, that was one that James Cameron was involved in too. Uh, that I have, you know, once again, I got to throw out my 3D, but I, I watched it in 3D and in VR and it's just unbelievable. Such a cool fucking movie. But I, I digress. Hey, Ed, just getting back to the actual film of El Mariachi. Uh, the film's awesome in and of itself, too, because, again, you know, it's a film in the early 90s made for $7,000 with this first time filmmaker. And it's just so cool to see from set piece to set piece what he's able to pull off with, with a freaking $7,000 action movie. Well, dude, it's weird because so, for example, as you mentioned earlier, we, you know, talking about Thursday Night Prime, we watch a lot of movies in the course of Thursday Night Prime that are made kind of amateurishly. Like you could, you know, the lighting's off or they're not shooting things right and stuff. And it, the acting is terrible. <laughs> well, of course. But I mean, specifically in the way that the movie's shot, it, it's just done poorly and they don't really know what they're doing and it kind of messes everything up. Uh, I don't know if this is by design. I'm going to go with no. Um, but the fact that Robert Rodriguez kind of just had that idea of like grab a camera and go make a movie. Um, he didn't know a lot of what he was doing at the time either. Um, but for some reason, uh, the wobbly camera gives it kind of a frenetic style um, that, you know, it just makes the movie more intense and, and it makes you feel like you're in the thick of the action kind of a thing. So like, yeah, if you were making a standard old cowboys on horses western or something like that it would probably look like a piece of shit um i think one of the things that is incredibly important about Aaron el mariachi as a film study type thing is not only is it teaching you how to make a movie that's cheap but it's also teaching you that you don't have the skills and ability to just go out and make star wars so you need to consider that and if you're going to shoot something and you want it to be successful you do have to understand your limitations and how to work within them. And I think that that's one of the most powerful things about El Mariachi is like the low budget amateur style that they're shooting the movie in really works to the advantage of what you're watching on screen. It all blends together very well and it doesn't take you out of the movie. It somehow finds a way to like really engross you in the action of what's happening. 
Great point, hey Ed. Yeah, because that's that's one of the biggest things that we look at shooting our independent films. And, and it's kind of from the, you know, we always have our uh, hand in hand with the professional wrestling industry. You know, Paul Lee with ECW would always talk about it. But of course, it's hiding your your weaknesses and in highlighting your strengths. And, yep. and that's and that's what happens. And we've talked about that uh, a bunch of times over as well, where sometimes the, the more you're pressed with budget and, 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 you know, all these obstacles, the more creative you can get. And, and that's what goes into kind of what you're saying too, because uh, yeah, Robert Rodriguez was able to put together uh, such a cool, you know, in and of itself, little world uh, of an action movie with El Mariachi, just, you know, such a cool concept where the El Mariachi, of course, getting mistaken for the criminal and, and the criminal having all the guns, like all these guns in the guitar case and, and everything that goes in with that. And, and like a really, you know, really cool villains, you know, funny goons, as far as that goes. And, and like I said, some really cool action set pieces, uh, all things considered with the budget. And, and of course this would go on to not only as we've talked about Columbia, Columbia films, putting a ton of movie, a ton of money into the movie to, to kind of prop it up initially with El Mariachi, but then giving it the full huge budget, you know, presentation uh, with basically a, a reboot or remake, if you will, with of course, Desperado, where, you know, the original uh, more amateur actor, Carlos Gallarda, it gets replaced by, you know, A-list uh, Hollywood actor, Antonio Banderas and his But prime. dude, that, but I was going to say though, I don't, I wouldn't consider him to be an A-list actor until after he did. Yeah, Desperate. that's true. I thought that that's a good point. Really put him on the map. That really put him on the map. Good point. And of course, Sama Hayek, uh, one of oh. our favorites ever. Hey, yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Ooh, my God, for sure. And, uh, you know, just just rounding things out, man, just uh, again, what can I say more than the movies that made us as this this prompted me to, uh, you know, like I said, inspire me to to really believe in myself to pursue independent film and everything. I mean, what more can you say? And, and we've talked about other films within this segment. And El Mariachi was also part of this as it was selected in 2011 by the Library of Congress for preservation in the United States National Film Registry for being, of course, as we say, culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. And, and I mentioned it at the beginning, but it's, it's worth mentioning again, hey, Ed, just such a huge milestone, uh, one in a million thing. The film recognized by the Guinness World Records is the lowest budgeted film ever to gross one million at the box office. And as tradition on the What's World podcast, even in, within the movies that made us segment, the tagline for El Mariachi, with a guitar in his hand and a price on his head, he wasn't looking for trouble, but trouble came looking for him. The remarkable debut film from director Robert Rodriguez and a true inspiration to your boy, the J. Yeah. And if any of you guys are listening out there and maybe haven't seen El Mariachi and you're interested in checking out, it is available on Tubi right now. Um, I think it's going off of there very soon. So you guys might want to watch it ASAP. Um, it's not an easy movie to track down anymore as it once was, but uh, definitely worth a look for sure. So good choice there, the J. And that is the conclusion of our month of September for the movies that made us. Again, we will be going on hiatus uh, as of next week and throughout the month of October, obviously, to deal with the 31 days of Halloween that we do here on the show. So with that all being said, we are up against our very last commercial break. Whenever we come back, we're going to wrap up the show. And the J is going to swing us by that good old majestic waterfall of goofs. So hold tight, guys. We'll be back right after this on the What's Real podcast. 
This is Ed from the What's Real podcast, urging you to check out the Make Results Not Excuses clothing company today. In 2017, Marcus and Jason began their fitness journey, and after the first day, both men looked at each other and wondered what they got themselves into. They were out of shape and struggled to initially find the motivation to keep going. It was a fight. Like many things you want in life, they worked hard and eventually found themselves in the best shape of their lives. When they realized they achieved their goal, Mark looked at Jason and said, make results, not excuses. Being the fearless businessman that Jason was, he said, we need to put that on a shirt. And so the buzz began. They were so passionate about being a part of something positive and making something good out of a bad situation, whether it was fitness, business, health, lifestyle, or converting your daydreams into tangible visions, they didn't just love seeing people wearing it, they loved seeing people live by it. It's a movement, and one that reaches people in all situations. Unfortunately, Jason left us too young, and Mark is committed to carrying on his legacy. Tomorrow isn't promised, and if you wait until the last minute to achieve your goal, the opportunity may not be waiting for you. We promise to support the Make Results, Not Excuses community, and our community includes everybody. Let's make this happen today. Check us out at MakeResultsNotExcuses.com. Again, that's MakeResultsNotExcuses.com. So make results and not excuses starting now. Hey everybody, this is Herman James for the What's Real Podcast, and I'm here to just let you know to welcome you to Goofs Are Goofs. And we're back, and it's that time once again. So the J, what do we got this week on the goof front, brother? Uh, that fall crisp air hate ya. Oh, it is take crisp. It, in. it is crisp. The leaves are starting to change. You know, we got the foliage going here and the we're here down <laughs> this uh nice little stroll we take down from the what's real studios to the the beautiful lagoon as we always say all these different animals down here the dolphins the the pussy willows over there and of course the waterfall of goofs right here on yonder hey yeah and it's flowing as always here on episode 133's grg first off i'm, I'm giving a sound here because this is one that uh, you had actually sent me where NFL broadcaster Dan Orlowski just farted mid-sentence. Here we are. <laughs> For those that didn't have see it, Dan Orlowski, just look it up, but he's just you know talking about breaking down Josh Allen and then appears to to pass some gas in the middle of his sentence. And farts are always funny. It's fucking hilarious. Yeah, especially when you do it on fucking Monday Night Football. Yeah, is that like, did they have any explanation or anything? Or no, he just... said so, it was like he was like, no, I wish it was. I would admit to it. And I'm, meanwhile, I'm like, bro, that, like you. Yeah, no, you would. Everybody always says that. Yeah, like no, dude, I wouldn't be embarrassed. It's like, yeah, you would. You, yeah, I, I, dude, that, that happened I'm, to I'm, what's her name? That goofy Wendy Williams. Remember no, that? And she was like, yeah. I don't like, I don't fart. She's like one of those, like, I don't fart. It's like, yeah, it's she's like, like all science. thick. It's like, dude, Science your farts are probably horrible. Yeah. And, and we, like, we did a GRG thing with that Brazilian singer that held him in and got fucking gastrointestinal <laughs> distress. Remember that? Yeah. Well, dude, here's the thing. People say that shit. Like, oh, I don't fart. It's like, then you do when you're sleeping all night. And they're like, no, I don't. And I'm like, scientists say otherwise. Well, like, mean, I meanwhile, the fact that it's, it's healthy. It's like, well, then your insides are probably horrible. It's like one of those things yeah. like you're trying to be less gross. But meanwhile, like, well, then you're way more gross than you're. Act like you are trying to say you don't fart. 
It's like you're just going to explode yeah. in a giant fart bomb eventually. <laughs> so, yeah. like, just, just let them loose, bro. It's fine. Yeah. We like all my, do it. Like my soccer coach said, let it be free, man. Better, better, <laughs> better out than in. Hey, you know, as uh, Shrek's wife says as well. <laughs> Since uh, the, the What's Real podcast or three quarters of us went to the Pusha T concert, Pusher T is is in the news, hey Ed. So we want to throw him out on GRG, our man Pusha, which which we mentioned at the uh, the start of the show. Hey Ed, the J, and our buddy Hutch attended a concert uh, last week here in Pittsburgh. He is pushing back with his second McDonald's diss track of the year, and this time he's burning the McRib to a crisp. Hey, yeah, did you hear this one? I didn't. Yeah, T, Pusha T's ribbing on McDonald's again. I guess he had a previous diss track, and uh, it's new Arby's Wild West diss track. So he's all about Arby's, and and Pusha does not like McDonald's because he's going he's going to town on them on the new record rib roast. King Push pedals Arby's real country rib sandwich while sending shots at the Golden Arches with lyrics like McDonald's, what you sell a mystery meat? Hop up and go away. What does history teach? Mickey's D's McRib, you ain't it in the streets. The real country style rib sandwich here to compete. Damn, Pusha. Yeah, that's. I'm assuming Pusha's just doing things for money at this point. Um, I also, it's pretty fucking weird. And I noticed this like a week ago that like I'm watching TV and like a Pizza Hut commercial comes on and they start playing If You Know, You Know, which is like. I, they're doing it to sell pizzas and I'm like this whole song is about cooking and selling crack cocaine and they're using it for a pizza hut scene. <laughs> yeah. so okay like the song's literally about the slang in selling drugs and, and like if you like he says the slang and then if you know you know but you know let's fuck it let's sell some pizzas with it I guess well while speaking to complex about the premiere of rib roast Pusha says he has no ill will toward McDonald's, admitting it wasn't the best business for him per se, but that's not stopping him from killing Ronald and company on wax. Pusha's spicy fish diss track dropped back in March and reportedly gave Arby's an $8 million marketing bump as well as a better, better deal for Pusha, 40% ownership of the track. So there you go, Hayad. He's making loot off of uh, having beefs with the beef. Yeah, you don't need to move that interstate weight anymore. <laughs> yeah did you hear about the uh, mom in utah that's pregnant with her son's child at 56 i no i did not the J. am <laughs> sure you're going to tell us yeah family in utah will certainly have a story to tell for their newest member because a 56 year old mom is carrying her son's baby yeah you heard that right hey you 56 year old nancy hack volunteered to carry her son jeff and his wife cambria's fifth child a girl Cambria is unable to carry a pregnancy after getting a life-saving hysterectomy. Jeff and Cambria already have two sets of twins, but one in Mo. And that's when grandma decided she worked as the vessel to carry the new kiddo. That's disturbing as shit. Yeah, you should see the picture of her and her husband. He's making the funniest face ever. Like He doesn't know what the fuck's going on. Yeah, I mean, you better make a face because I wouldn't want people to recognize me from that news story. Fuck. That's, that's bizarre. Like, okay. When I think you're literally about to tell me a story about incest and somehow the story that you tell me is like weirder than that somehow. Like now maybe I'm just ignorant here. I don't believe this is something that people normally do ever. I hope not. Because like, you know, like actually I'm kind of surprised that like a fucking, 
a facility would even allow you to do this. Well, how and how about the irony that these people w- with each other have two sets of twins and this is going to be their fifth kid. So they had twins, then they had twins again, and then they're like, shit, we want more. Like, mom, can you mind if we inseminate you? Like, all right. Look, I hate people, and this is exactly why. Yeah, I'm actually auditioning for the role of the son for the Lifetime film. <laughs> 56 and pregnant with my son's boob. <laughs> my son's boob a lot. <laughs> oh, Christ. Kill us now, hey, y'all. Here, give, give us a line read. Uh, Mom, I need you to have my baby. What did you think? You, you, yeah, you're a shoe in for this one. <laughs> <laughs> did you hear about uh, Project Grizzly? I was going to say something, but I'm not. But <laughs> no, I have not. <laughs> I'm, as we do on the show, I'm sending it direct message to your Al. Uh, so this was from 1996. Project Grizzly was where a Canadian inventor, Troy Herbaboos, tested his armored grizzly bear protection suit. And you guys, this is one of our viral videos that we explain in audio, but you guys have to see this. <laughs> <laughs> this dude's just, he's in this crazy suit, just getting hit with bats, getting hit with logs, boulders, dude, go, flying down hills. Dude, when he's falling down the hill. Yeah, he gets hit with a truck. <laughs> it's the best guys. thing ever. No, this is the greatest video, dude. He got that. This is the greatest thing I've ever seen, yeah. like ever. Seriously, it's something we would. If do. you got, if you guys are listening to the show right now, pause the show <laughs> yeah. and go look for this shit right now. Project Grizzly, like we're we're gonna be making a film, dude. About- how fu- this is? <laughs> so the the Canadian inventor's name's Troy's Hurtabees. And it's just funny because it because hurt is in his name, so naturally yeah. he he got to do them. This is the most violent shit I've ever seen. <laughs> seven Christ. seven million and counting views. Hey, you know. my yeah, that, god, that was just so so damn up our uh-huh. alley. It was it was it had me dying. I saw this with no like I'm thinking bear protection suit. So like you know like maybe a dude's gonna get tackled by a bear, but first thing I see a dude swinging full blast at his head with a baseball bat. Yeah, <laughs> and it just keeps getting worse. Like, oh uh, dude, it's it's just ridiculous. My God. Hey, can you ma- um, imagine obviously being the one testing that in that thing? Well, dude, here's the thing that I think about. Like, so say they make this fucking thing and it and it's right, like. Okay, this is perfect. Like, are dudes just gonna be like, I'm going out in the woods in my bear suit and I'm gonna whoop a bear's ass? Yeah. Like, something terrible would still happen to you, I'm pretty sure, because a bear could rip your fucking arms off and no suit is gonna prevent that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, too much, man. But yeah, we, we do our best to describe it as kind of an inside joke when we do the viral videos just talking about it. But that one has to be seen to be believed. Dude, that's just that's an. In my opinion, that's a goofs or goofs Hall of Fame uh, entry right there. That's yeah. that's as good of a video as we've ever had on here. Yeah, it's great. It's uh, definitely in the Hall of Fame. Um, did you hear the one? American Airlines is someone in 13A about to orgasm. Uh, so this happened over the weekend. Uh, Mao High Moans is, is the story. American Airlines passengers traveling from L.A. to Dallas probably thought they were about to witness a Mao High encounter that sounded downright orgasmic. On the September 6th flight, uh, they heard what one passenger described as, quote, 
somewhere between an orgasm and vomiting. And uh, here on TMZ, you could check out the video and listen. It's coming from the PA system. And it sounds like some dude is about to become a, a member of the not so exclusive club. But supposedly it was a source of confusion to the flight crew. Apparently one flight attendant thought someone was pulling a prank, but it turned out to be a weird malfunction in the PA that sounded like a man's moans. And that, that was like, one uh, of our bands, man's moans. Remember that? It's, it's like, it's a, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's, it's like a porn store. We used to crack up at Eric St. LaCroix back in the day. He'd be like, Ooh, like, Ooh, bear. Ooh, it's talking to me. Bear. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. Did you that's, see the, um, that's, a, that's the sound of every dude on earth orgasming. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Did you hear the story about the uh, Chinese super neighbor? No, of course not. Oh, this dude's amazing. So this was a rescue in China. A kid was dangling from a balcony and he was saved by super neighbor. So a child was hanging on for dear life on the edge of a balcony in China. And he received the superhero treatment courtesy of his neighbor who literally turned into Spider-Man to save the day. As you can watch the video, hey, yeah, shot in the city of Foshan, located in the Guangdong province near South China, showing a young kid who's got his head stuck between two metal posts, which are the only thing stopping him from dropping down seven stories off his apartment patio. It's scary. The boy's got nearly his entire body dangling over the edge as he desperately tries to get himself back onto the balcony to no avail. People were looking from down below and seemingly calling for help, which came in the form of a quick-thinking do-gooder it appears that a man living next door jumps out onto his patio gate and then shimmies his way to where the kid is, who then starts to push him back through the bars. The camera pans away a bit. When it refocuses, you see a woman, presumably a family member, on the other side of the gate trying to get the child back in safely. Their efforts eventually work, and the boy is slid back inside without any harm falling on him. The neighbor then begins to slide his way back to his unit. It doesn't seem like he could just drop the gate or easily enter, so he had to go back the long and dangerous way. So this dude's just climbing over high-rise apartment buildings through through balconies, looking yeah, like goddamn like, John Cena from Peacemaker. I'd like to act like I would do something like this, but the reality of it is, is I would come out on my balcony, see him, and be like, "Fuck that kid," and go back inside. Just watch TV. Like I'm yeah, not doing seriously. There's like I'm not dying for someone else's kid. Fuck that. Like, did, did you ever see I, the footage? Sorry, from, from last year's Super Bowl celebration when the the rams were on the stage and it was stafford and his wife and this woman was uh setting them up to take a picture of him and she fell backwards off the stage and yep. like his wife goes after her and he just turns around like he he plays it off like he didn't see it <laughs> well mainly yeah because it's like stafford's like the type of dude that's like dude if i fall off and break my fucking leg that's a fucking 84 million dollar leg fuck you lady like pay attention to what you're doing like I don't, you know, I get it, like, but it's, dude, like, oh, there's always one. You know what I mean? There's always, like, the one person that's like, how the fuck did this happen to you? Like, oh, I don't know, I just fell. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, dude, it's, I know it's, it's completely unrelated, but years ago, like, when I still lived at home with my parents, right, there was a dude, this fucking old guy up the hill that lived, his name was Joe, and he wrecked his car a couple times. And dude, you remember the hill that I lived on? How it was like cobblestone, and like yeah, of you, if you like, if you beat ass down this hill, like you might wreck or fuck up your car really bad. So like one day, I hear like it sounds like a car accident, 
And I go outside and I look and Joe wrecked his car, but he's on the car flipped. So he's on the, the roof of the car. And I'm like, uh, and I'm like, how the fuck did you do this? Like, I don't even know if it's possible to yeah. do this. Like, you can't get speed. You can't do it. I'm, I, it's just like one of them things. Like, how the fuck? I wish I could have saw how this happened because I wouldn't have believed it. Yeah, that's wild. Well, here's another one because, yeah, Jesus Naturally. Christ, this dude. You know, but there are good Samaritans out there, man. Chinese Spider-Man. God bless them. Crazy All shit. Two of them. And just to round things out for GRG 133, this is a repeat story, but now it has an official date. We did this on GRG a while ago, maybe last year. It is the return of Cocaine Bear, the Elizabeth Banks directed film coming out in 2023, inspired by true events that took place in Kentucky in 1985, during which a 175 pound black bear ingested 88 pounds of pure Colombian cocaine. <laughs> Maybe that's why the dude originally made Project Grizzly to fucking yeah. make the bear suit. <laughs> Seriously. It's like all these, all these goddamn cocaine bears. We're going to need protection. Cocaine bear, the true story behind the ultimate party animal, Georgia's most infamous Bruin and the true crime saga around him is getting the Hollywood treatment in a new Elizabeth Banks produced film. The real tell, though, is almost too wild to believe. And, uh, you know, it's a big, long article for anybody interested. Backpacker.com, cocaine bear, the true story. Uh, you could find it. Uh, it's a pretty cool article. I read through it, but uh, it's it's just funny. Like we said, too, of all people, Elizabeth Banks like stumbled on this, like, oh, I'm going to direct this cocaine bear. Kind of make it kind of, it's like, like, I want to make the cocaine bear movie. Like, well, you know that if you do that, everybody's going to know how much you love cocaine. Elizabeth Banks. Yeah. She, I'm just she, taking a guess, but you know, <laughs> of course, here we go with the puns. Hey, you later dubbed Pablo Escobar. Yeah, of course. But, uh, that's, they <laughs> that's what they should have called the fucking movie. To be honest with you. And as I say to my cocaine brother from a cocaine mother between <laughs> Dan Orvlosky farting all over the place, a mom in Utah having her son's baby. Project Grizzly that we're going to try to remake the film. Cocaine Bears, Airline Orgasms, and Chinese Spider-Man. Goofs are goofs. So we're about done here this week. Uh, if you guys are listening to the show on Apple iTunes, feel free to give us a five-star review. Helps get more eyes and ears on the program. And of course, you can listen to us on all of your favorite podcasting platforms, such as Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Google Podcasts, and each and every week on churchillpictures.com. Uh, feel free to send us an email, you know, if you're not a total sackless coward. Uh, you can do that at whatsrealpod at gmail.com. Again, you sackless cowards at whatsrealpod at gmail.com. But before we get out of here, hear the J revving it up. So the J, take it away. Oh, ooh, revving it up like I just did 7.5 grams like um Pablo Escobar hate hey, you yeah. as I say all my usual shenanigans love the show shout out to the man our producer the wizard behind the boards himself thanks for what you do cam that consistent constant weekly week to week 16k crystal clear sound we appreciate you we, we appreciate what you do thanks hey yeah, for being my partner on this journey man it's always crazy Love being the tag team, uh, one half of the tag team champions and podcasting with you. And it was another great week in our world, as we say. And as I say as well, if you're hearing my voice right now, I love you. Leading the charge from Hey Yacht, 
Stay safe. Stay healthy. You'll hear the J next week. Of course, shout out to our producer, Cam, for all the hard work he puts in uh, on the show each and every week and for all of his cinematography uh, escapades in the world. Good job, brother. We're proud of you over here. And as we know here on the show, nobody beats the Wiz. Of course, the J, clang, 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 clang. Still undefeated, still the podcast tag team champions of the universe, by the way. It's not just the world. There's nobody in space fucking with us. So that's how we're doing it. But that is it for us this week here on episode 133. Don't forget to join us next week for episode 134 and beyond. So stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll see you. We will see you here next week on the Let's Roll Podcast. What's real? What's real?